had this idea that the person I would marry after my ex-husband would be someone in a lifted pickup truck with like a gun rack in the back, and instead he drives like a little Subaru. And I'm like, yes, so Subaru gang, rise up, rise up. <laughs> We're out here. There are dozens of us. Yeah. <laughs> There's at least... And he's got a sticker on the back that says question authority. And I'm like, oh my god. Oh my god. That's you, dude. Let's go. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the A Better Way to A podcast with your hosts, Jordan and Andrew. This week, we've got Mama Wilder, also known as Emily Rose. Um, she talks about birth, motherhood, and health on Instagram, and we wanted to talk to her about domestic violence and guns. My other favorite topics. <laughs> yeah, that... Yeah, your other... Yeah. <laughs> What a fun! What a what a fun little uh, what a fun little intersection little... of. You think that they there. wouldn't be related, yeah. but the number one killer of pregnant women is homicide. So it does matter. It's relevant. Yeah. Well, and it's also you know, and we've talked about this before in the podcast. It is the one weird intersection where we actually have really good data that having a gun involved will will significantly worsen outcomes specifically for 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 women for for wives yeah um, first of all i just wanted to say thank you for coming on emily uh before we start just going face first into data and text and things like that i know a lot of times we get ahead of ourselves but we really appreciate you coming on i know what? it took us a while to us? Can I know sometimes sometimes we kind of go off the rails like first sure, thing and it's sure. like, oh, yeah, this person who who's taking time out of their day is on our podcast and uh, we never thank them for doing it. But, um, yeah, it took us some time to, to get together, but I'm I'm glad. Uh, I think we all took turns being sick. Oh, my gosh. At one point. Yeah, it's been a rough couple of months. Oh. Oh, my God. I just feel like it's just I, I so we got covid last year in like April. Uh, and I feel like it's just been nonstop since we tried to get, sorry, we tried to get my son into daycare and, uh, it was just, it was nonstop. Uh, it was every week, a new, a oh, new yeah. respiratory Kids are infection. Sorry. Yeah. That yeah. is one thing that I was abysmally unprepared for having a kid and just, I, I feel like I've had the last maybe two to three weeks of feeling somewhat healthy and it's the first time I felt healthy since she started daycare at two months old. And it was like, she's 10 months old now. So it's like the last eight months I feel like I've been constantly sick and just it's, it's, that is one thing that people tell you about, but you have no concept unless you're immunocompromised and always sick. Anyway, there's like, there's, this is not how my, my body is not used to fighting. I feel like we are a, uh, like your body before you have a kid is like an old veteran who's like fought the wars in the past. And you know, it's, it's like you're going like, back to boot camp. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, Holy shit. I was not ready for this. It's like Sylvester Stallone in those, those movies he's making now where he's really old and Arnold, you know, he can't yeah. do it. Anymore. Arnold Schwarzenegger in the last stand. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you just see him kind of like fiddling around like an, like an old guy. Yeah. Oh Sorry, man. That's ageist. I shouldn't make fun of old people. You do though. I do a little bit. No, you don't make I'm fun. Get, of, you know, I'll be, I'll be old one day. 
Yeah, and then people, it'll be their turn to make fun of us. Anyway, I said let's anyway. thank you before we start talking all over you, and then I proceeded to talk all over you. Nowhere. <laughs> okay. So, Educational Fund to Stop Gun Violence says that a woman is five times more likely to be murdered when her abuser has access to a gun. Um, now, that claim is a little bit vague, and there's some debate about that statistic, but they do have some data to back that up. So how do we – you know, we're very pro-gun people uh, on this podcast. How do we kind of square that claim with our belief that women should have access to firearms for self-defense um, because – you know, it's obviously it's like, you know, if you're living with your domestic abuser, you know, they've got access to what you've got access to. Right. And and I think a lot of times when we talk about that statistic, because I've talked about it, too. Anytime there's a mass shooting, I always will talk about it, of course, online. And that statistic is brought up. Well, you know, women, when there's a gun in the house, the, the likelihood of assault or death is significantly increased. Right. We know that cognitively. But I also think that women who own firearms are more likely to be paired with men who own firearms. So I don't in that situation, I don't know if it really matters who the firearm is registered to, because as we know, men who and I'm using heteronormative terms here and and heterosexual relationships mainly because that's what what I'm familiar with and what I've typically been working with. But. And that's kind of how the data is framed. um, The men who are perpetrating acts of violence there it's sometimes the gun is legally there sometimes it's not so i don't really you know a woman having a firearm i think if a partner i've always said from the very beginning and i also am a very pro-gun person one of the reasons i left new york state was also so that i could own a firearm it was one of the very first things i did when i got here to colorado um but i'm i believe that if a woman is paired up with a man who is interested in firearms or has firearms She's doing herself a disservice by not becoming at least familiar with how they operate, how they work, how to disassemble one, how to render one unusable. Um, I think it's irresponsible to be living in a home where your partner does have access to firearms, whether you're in a safe relationship or not, and to deliberately not know how that works. And I think for a lot of women, they're very afraid of firearms, and so they will deliberately get away from it. I don't want to, I'm scared of it. I don't want to touch it. It's just going to go off, like sitting on the table. You know, that's not true, but... That fear, I think, is is deadly. It's going to cost someone potentially her life. And I don't think there's any reason to not at least familiarize oneself with firearms if she's in a relationship with someone who likes guns. Sure. And so, so we kind of, on top of that, at the beginning of the, that answer, you kind of, you kind of, so that you feel like that that statistic is kind of a, it's like a framing uh, problem. It's like a, a like a frame of reference issue where. You know, may, maybe perhaps the the data is a little bit flattened, and they're not taking into account like the variety of different situations where where there there might be a gun in in the house during a domestic abuse kind of situation. I think it's a weird statistic in that it doesn't really give a full picture. Um, are, are my kids more likely to stab themselves if there are knives in the house? Yeah, just by virtue of it being in the house, right. like we need to look at the bigger picture and these relationship dynamics. And I think there is, it's just, it's one of those statistics that is used to scare people like, Oh, it's the guns are the problem. It's like, well, it's a layered issue. It's not just the existence of a firearm in a home. There are, yeah, I don't, that's just, it's a, I think it's a cheap way of trying to instill fear in people by saying, well, there's a gun. So she's more likely to die 
but we know that men will men who want to end the lives of their partners are going to find a way to do it whether there's a gun or not do you feel like maybe you know and we've we've talked about this in, in other aspects too where it's like you know you're you're not gonna you're not gonna drown if you don't own a pool right but also, do you think that that men who are domestic abusers or who are prone to abusive behavior are are going to be are going to like want to equip themselves with like like the like tools of violence? Do you think that maybe that might be skewing the the statistic as well? Not necessarily, because look at Australia. Yeah, it's a they actually point. have they have coercive control legislation on the books, and they have an epidemic of domestic violence. Really? Women are dying all the time. Yeah. And in fact, so a tool of, of, you know, the means of doing these things, men will just light their families on fire in Australia. Yeah, no lies. They will stab women. Yeah. And so I don't, I think maybe it might be a little easier if there's a gun in the house, but I know that if my husband wants to kill me, he's going to find a way whether we have a gun or not. Yeah, I feel that. I think that's something that a lot of gun control advocates fail to reason with is that, you know, we live in a world where, we live in a country, I should say, where we are uh, inundated with gun violence. So it is it is obvious – I'm sorry. It's easy to get obsessed with an object and get obsessed with a single variable in a violent situation. And for us, a lot of that is just based on what the media covers and a lot of what we're told it is, is guns. Very rarely do you ever hear a story go into you know, why a, a violent event happened or what – Systemat- systematic failures caused this person to become the individual who is capable of doing this violent act. So we go to these guns, and I think what a lot of people end up getting hung up on is the idea that if we were to just get rid of guns tomorrow, that domestic violence or that homicide or or mass killings would end. And guns are absolutely more lethal, and there's no arguing that. But you look at these countries like Australia, like countries in the UK that have extremely strict gun control laws and their violent crime rates are still comparable to the US. And and it's something that I think people really have to think more more hard, more in depth about because it's it's something that is ingrained into our society. Guns. Guns we have guns they're here to stay, and there's no magic button to press to get rid of them. So we have to start looking into why, why are we, why are we having this epidemic of domestic violence? Why is this? Why are mass shootings happening much higher rates than other countries? And stop looking at the guns as far as a. Uh, sorry, I definitely I started rambling a little bit with that one. But <laughs> no, it's I, right. I, uh, I I think that you know, like you said, Australia has a high has a problem with domestic violence and they don't have many guns. So it's clearly not the gun that is probably with lethal domestic. Violence yes. Specifically. Lethal domestic violence. Thank you. Because that's, yeah. And... Go ahead. Well, I was going to say is, you know, you even look at other countries, especially post pandemic. Um, and I think of Italy, I was married to an Italian and, um, it, when I think about, we just, if you look at the data, rates of domestic violence have been going up since the start of the pandemic, just because people are in close proximity. They're not going to school. They're not going to work. They were with their potential abusers. And of course, situations were stressful and tensions were heightened. And that's just like a ticking time bomb. But you're right. Other countries do have issues like misogyny. Like we know that that some of those things are ingrained in people's 
cultures and religions, and so that colors the way that they interact in their relationships. So America's not just like, oh, domestic violence, it's just an American thing. No, it's not. I mean, maybe it is in terms of, like, how easy it is to go, to, depending on where you are, pick, to go get a certain type of firearm and kill a lot of people at once. That might be one thing, but... You know, we have a lot of other things. We could talk about this a whole. We could do a whole other yeah. discussion about about like well, we just... we love tangents on this podcast. So so <laughs> just follow it. Well, um, <laughs> you know, Australia. We talk about Australia because Australia, right? They had one mass shooting and then they banned guns. Remember what happened though during COVID with all the lockdowns there? We didn't really have that situation. And then the thing yeah. that I kept hearing was, well, we have the Second Amendment. So they're not going to come into our house and arrest us for leaving our house to go to the store because that's just not going to happen in America because everyone's armed. So, you know, the, the gun discussion colors that subject, too. But to go back to the domestic violence thing, every other country has misogyny. Every other country has people who kill other people. And it's just, you know, it's irresponsible and short-sighted to think, well, it's just an American thing because we have guns. And if we just ban the guns, the DV will end. No, it won't. Because men will still run over women with cars. Men will still light their families on fire, like in Australia. I mean, it, it's not, if where there's a will, there's a way. That's all there is to it. Right. And, and the, the argument that they make is that, oh, it'll be more difficult for them to do it. And I think even that's arguable. You know, the, a, a firearm, as we more know. More difficult so it'll piss a guy off more so he's right. more deliberate. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's such a weird argument. You know, it's like, you know, uh, well, we don't have to make it easy for him. Uh, but it's, you know, a firearm is a good and direct tool of violence. I'm sorry. You were muted when you said that. Sorry. Wait, can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. I said, you got to really want to do it. You got to really want to kill your family. You got to earn it. It's such a strange, it's such a strange, it's such a strange argument to make. Uh, but I, but I understand where it's like, you know, okay. So you've got this big problem of domestic violence. Uh, and it's really scary and daunting to think about how to solve the whole thing. So you look at this little statistic like, you know, oh, it, it seems to be that these situations are more deadly when there is a firearm present. So maybe we could just right off the top shave off some fatalities by by, you know, banning guns or or, for instance, uh, as we have done, um, bar someone from owning guns uh, for a a conviction of, of domestic violence, which is a misdemeanor. Which is, by the way, the only misdemeanor uh, that will prevent you from exercising any constitutional right. <clears throat> and I understand the reasoning, but I do sometimes wonder, you know, how much is that, like, is that is that fair to uh, to to ban someone from owning guns for the rest of their life for for a commission for a conviction of domestic violence, just based on the information that we have? So. Um, you know that a Texas federal judge just kind of struck that down, right? Oh, yeah. You know what? Really? Did you hear I think about I that? Do, I do think I remember I remember something about that. But why don't, why don't you tell us about it? So the Brady Handgun Firearm Violence Prevention Act um, is a law that says that people who are accused, not even convicted, and if you even have a, a protection order against you, you don't have to be convicted of any DV charge. If you have a protection order against you in the United States, you are legally prohibited from owning firearms. Now, we know that laws are not enforced point blank across the board. So there are so many ways around that. I would say that 
I mean, I know off the top of my head several people who have protection orders against them and are walking around with firearms on their head. So it's not a law that's really enforced. And it also depends on jurisdiction. But recently, more recently, a judge in Texas, of all places, of course, said that it is a it is unconstitutional to deny someone their right to bear arms if they're accused of domestic violence. And, you know, I'll be honest, I haven't even asked myself that question that you just asked me, is it fair to deny someone their right to bear arms? Because I'm looking at it from the opposite perspective, where we have so many women who are like, that guy is, he's, he's assaulted me. He's scary. I'm scared of him. He's done this, this, and this. And the bar to get a protection order is actually much lower than a conviction. Like, I'll just use my own example for example. I, my stalker has a protection order against him for the rest of my life. So he technically is not supposed to be able to purchase firearms. He was acquitted of the domestic violence, which is a whole separate accusation. So that didn't stop him, but the existence of the protection order does. So I, I haven't even considered that. Is that fair? Because I'm more preoccupied with the interests and the safety of women who are worried for their safety. Right. And, you know, in absence of a conviction, a conviction is really hard. Yeah. A DV conviction is really, really hard to get. And so, you know, should the bar be low enough where you can just get a protection order granted? And of course, that's a lot of times what happens is the protection orders, they're not convictions. They are granted by family court judges who are not criminal court judges. There's no jury. There's no prosecutor. There's no defense attorney. It could be two people who used to live together who maybe have a kid in front of one family court judge with maybe no criminal experience ever. So this is one dude with not a lot of in, not a lot of education on domestic violence or even crime making determinations of fact and determining, you know, is this a valid claim? Did this guy really threaten to blow up her car? Yes or no. And if he finds that he did, that guy can't buy a gun for the rest of his life or until the protection order is dropped, which could be never. So, you know, I, I'm not surprised that a judge in Texas was like, that's not constitutional. Because it kind of does sound like that because it's such a gray area. It's like all you have to do is present to a civil judge that maybe this guy said something threatening and then he can never purchase a gun. Like, I think that that's I think that actually that's what the judge in Texas ruled on. It was about protection orders, maybe not convictions. But um, no, if that's that's there's a lot of gray area there. Right. For sure. And it's definitely one of those areas where I, I, you know, I'm very like extreme and gung ho about gun rights in a lot of in a lot of areas. But when we start talking about domestic violence and stuff like that, um, you know, I, I kind of temper myself a lot because, you know, I never I never want to talk over people that are genuinely scared uh, for their life for like a very real reason, a yeah. very real and valid reason. And I think a lot of people do that without either intentionally or unintentionally because they it, it's an emotional topic and I think a lot of people men specifically um I I've noticed in myself hearing somebody talk about domestic violence and using uh like blanket terms like men meaning like not talking about me specifically but men in general being the the like highest percentage of perpetrators in the relationship against uh, in a domestic violence situation, I feel myself feeling defensive, you know, and wanting to say things like, well, not me. And the, I think what a lot of people have to do is realize that this person is saying something that has affected them in a way that, although it might not involve people like you or you specifically is very real and needs to be considered. And 
The problem that I see with a lot of this legislation, it reminds me a lot of red flag laws. And I'm vehemently opposed to red flag laws, not because of not because I don't want to keep dangerous people from owning firearms, but because of the precedent that it sets that you can remove somebody's right without a conviction. But then I think it is, like you said, extremely hard to get a conviction in a lot of these sense in a lot of these situations. And I don't know personally what the middle ground is to where we can protect people who need protection without innocent people losing rights and right, right. I don't know if there is one way to go that you know like it is worth losing on one side or the other a little bit more than than we should because of the overall good and well, that's that's the argument isn't it right like yeah. that you know like you know oh yeah you've got your gun rights that are that are in danger here but this is my actual life that's in danger and that's yes. a very compelling argument uh when when you're like looking at someone and talking to them about it absolutely so i you know what what do you think if anything is 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 the middle ground to where you know we can protect people victims of domestic abuse while i don't want to say maintaining uh you know do do um Without, without violating people's rights yeah, exactly. uh, un- too much. Too, too much. much, yeah. Well, in a perfect world, much. you wouldn't do it at all, but we don't live in a perfect world, and we need to protect people who need to be protected. No, and I, and I think, you know, I don't... I, just, I, was, I pulled up a, a story, actually, from Connecticut of a woman who, um, you probably heard of it, she was a mom, single mom, she had a teenage son, she was killed with an axe back in December, and she had been going yeah. to the police, she'd just gotten a no-contact order. Did you hear about this? Yeah, because I lived in Connecticut, it's... Right. And so, and he came in and he killed her with an ax. So when I, where where there's a will, there's a way. And I also want to talk about though, and we might've talked about it briefly in, in messaging. Um, at, you know, when I say the bar is so low to get someone's gun rights taken away with the protection order, men who will weaponize the law will use that, that same low bar against their victim. And for example, because it doesn't take much to get someone even temporarily disarmed with the courts, all someone has to do is say, he, she threatened to kill me. Let's say they're in a contentious separation. He's mad she left, whatever. He says, she threatened to kill me or the kids. I want a protection order. Well, the bar for a protection order being granted permanently is low. It's even lower to have it granted temporarily. So there could be two to three weeks where that woman can't legally own a firearm. And I'll use my own story as an example. In 2021, my stalker was arrested for stalking. He was released initially on misdemeanor charges. And the first thing he did when he got out of jail was file a protection order against me, even though he had been arrested for violating an existing protection order. And um, all of his firearms were registered or owned by other people. So there was no follow-up. And and that's a whole Colorado thing. But so he immediately went to the judge and said, well, she ran me over with a car four months ago. And I want a protection order. And the judge said, sounds legit. And here you go. So for two weeks, I was legally not supposed to own a firearm. Knowing that this guy was out on bond for following me around and violating a protection order. And so for two, it was the scariest time of my life. And um, fortunately, when I actually was finally served with that protection order, the sheriff's deputy said, I know that you have a CCW. I have been instructed by my boss to not take it. Usually I take them, and I was told not to take yours. And I'm like, that sounds 
not right, but I'm not going to fight you on that one. Yeah, really. So, um, <laughs> like, I'm just like, whatever. Yeah. So, for two weeks, or three weeks, because it was postponed a little bit, I was not technically allowed to carry a firearm, knowing that someone out there was just weaponizing the court system, the court process, to disarm me. And ultimately, that protection order was dropped because the judge was like, yeah, this is a joke. And, you know, there's two prongs of protection order. You have to establish that a threat of harm is imminent, and then you have to establish that it would be ongoing if the protection order were not made permanent. And so in that situation, the imminent threat thing, that's a lower bar, but the ongoing threat was kind of nullified because of an existing protection order. So there's so, I mean, it's such a, it's confusing for people who are not in the system, but for women who are going through this, who are actually trying to lead these violent, typically men, it's it's so overwhelming and it's hard to gather yourself. It's so scary. And so, um, God, I kind of got off topic there, but yeah, no, it's, fine. um, no, that's on topic. when we talk about protection orders and the bar being low, just know that it can be so easily weaponized to the opposite person. And that's what's scary too, is that the same law that I was relying on to keep me safe was now being used against me to disarm me and I couldn't protect myself or my kids. That's terrifying. So yeah, I do see it both sides, but it's like, where do you, what is the middle ground? I'm not... I don't live in a fantasy world where I'm like, we'll just ban guns and everything will end. That's not true. That's not, that's not going right. to happen. Yeah. So what, you know, and, and I'm, I'm cautious to, I don't want to say, well, then every woman should just become familiar with guns and arm herself. If she's got a stalker out there, part of me does want to say that. Like, you know, if there's a guy out there who wants to harm you, you should know what you're doing and try to take every measure available to protect yourself. Cause ultimately that's what it comes down to. The police aren't going to come if I call him right now and say my ex is in my front yard, it'll be 20, 30 minutes. Then he's in the house. Like, who ultimately does the responsibility fall on when we want to keep ourselves safe? And I I hate to say it, but it, it's us. It's individual women. Right. Well, because, you know, and I, I think it's interesting that you had that experience with the sheriff because I, I immediately thought of how quickly that same experience could be used against you as well. If you're the one filing the protection order and you, your stalker, your ex... The, the guy in the relationship happens to be buddy buddy with the sheriff and the sheriff yeah. shows up and says, Hey, I'm supposed to take your guns, but I'm not going to do it. And now you, as somebody who is not armed because you're not, you don't like guns, you're not familiar with them, have no means to protect you yourself or your family. And they still have the means because of some arbitrary decision the sheriff decided to make. Right. And that's the scary thing is that it really does fall on the responding officer. And Right. Just as just like he said to me, I'm not going to take your CCW technically, which is good in your situation. Um, right. But if I were someone who had friends who were cops and I were a man, that's alarming, frankly. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's great for me. But like, what if my stalker were friends with cops? He's not. But like, oh, and you know that that happens because, you know, 40 percent of uh, cops are domestic <laughs> abusers. Just throwing that out there. We're not supposed to say that. No. Oh, Definitely don't Google forty percent of cops. Yeah, and and also keeping in mind too that you know I, I wrote down a little note here that the uh, Journal of American, the Journal of the American Academy of Psychiatry says that you know the 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 rates of violation of uh, protection orders varies as, f from as low as 7.1% in some states to 81.3% in other states. So even if 
you know, you're, you're the, the sheriff does everything by the book and, and everything's like honky dory from the, from the legal perspective, the guy that you're, you're trying to get a protection order against could just, you know, like, well, fuck this and get right. a gun anyway. And, and at the end of the day, a protection order is just a piece of paper. Right. Like that's really what it is. I have one. It's a threat. And it, it doesn't mean anything. It, it doesn't mean anything. And I went through a trial. It's, it's rare to even go to trial on those things. I sat through a whole trial and they, even the jury was like, yeah, it wasn't a VPO. Even though every other cop who'd arrested it, like it was, there's so, like, if we think about it, there are laws, right? And ultimately it falls on, if it goes to trial, it falls on the random ass people from your town to decide, is this actually a law violation? Did that guy really break the law? Because the cops might think he broke the law enough to arrest. Prosecutors might think he broke the law enough to file charges. But at the end of the day, it falls on random people in town. So... That is so, it's such a gamble because at the end of the day, if a try, if someone goes to trial for a violation of a protection order, that means she lived. What about all the women who didn't live because he ended her life? So like, it's just a piece of paper. And I remember when, when my trial concluded, there were still alarming behaviors that happened weeks after and more VPO calls and everything. And I finally sat down with the lead investigator of our district attorney's office and he's, that's when he kind of had a, he came clean and he's like, yeah, this is never going to protect you. It's just not. You can enroll in the address confidentiality program. You can have a cop. You can, I mean, my husband's a prosecutor. You can live with someone in law enforcement, but at the end of the day, your protection order is not going to protect you. You have to protect you. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, so I got to go buy a new gun. Like it was just, that's really what it comes down to. And we can live in la la land and pretend like, I mean, it is great when women get protection orders because it does you know, establish a specific set of rules for that person. However, it's really difficult to enforce it. Well, it's like, it's like, it's not gonna, the paper will not stop him from, from doing violence. All it is, is like, if you get caught breaking these rules, there might be consequences depending on who answers the phone, you know? And if they take it seriously, like right. for example, yeah. Yeah. And it, it depends on, it depends on responding officer and it depends on prosecutor. I've, I know every prosecutor in this region and their attitudes on protection order violations will change day to day. And, you know, a lot of times when you, when you hear that 80 some odd percent of protection orders get violated, a lot of times what happens, because these are domestic relationships, these people were intimate at one point, a lot of times what happens is they will have moments where they're getting along and she'll call them over and she'll say, hey, come get the kids. Just like, it's easier. I don't really want to get out to meet you to do a custody exchange, he'll come over, she'll call the cops on him. So, like, you're look, you're considering stories like that. God damn. Or you have other stories, like in my case, my ex found my home address and sent mail address to my husband. And the, the prosecutor didn't think that was a violation of a protection order. Even though he sent mail to the house, like, it's just there's so much gray area. And my own, I remember my own attorney telling me, I've had clients who have had 20, 25, 30 VPOs, we call them before charges were even filed. So it's it's really, it's so gray. It's not a rigid black and white set of rules. I, it's it's really, it's tough to to come to a conclusion with a lot of this stuff because I, I agree with you from a, from an autonomy perspective that I think we are responsible for our own protection. Just, it, it's the same for me if I'm out on my own as it is for anyone else. But I've heard people say that before, and I've heard other people 
refer to it as a form of victim blaming. And right, I like, see the nuance in it. So I don't yeah, immediately I, I, jump yeah, to I've that. gotten that too. Cause but, I, I never want to be like, you know, Oh, if you didn't, if you didn't have a gun, it's your fault. You got killed. That's, that's bullshit. You know, that's victim blaming. But then sometimes when I'm like, Hey, it might be a good idea to learn to, to protect yourself. Someone will be like, well, that's victim blaming. And, or they'll say like, well, I shouldn't have to do that. And, which, Which is obviously, true, nobody but... should have to do that, but this is the world that we're living in, and we have to adapt to the to the environment. And I, uh, yeah, what do, I'm not what do really you think about that. Yeah, what do you think about that? I should just answer all of my end all of my rambling statements with that, like a shrink. How does, How that, does make that make you, make feel? you feel? Well, I don't. Something I talk about a lot is the concept of shaming, and and when I talk about birth and things like that, I don't really. I think shame is an inside job. I think when we talk about kids and, like, development and stuff, it's you can shame a child and make them feel terrible about themselves. But I really do think that as an adult, um, you can't make me feel bad about something I don't already feel bad about. And so this concept of victim blaming is so... I don't really have a, a specific opinion on it. I don't really have a, a hard opinion on it. But I do... Because I, you're right. I should be able to walk... I should be able to go to a custody exchange with my former stalker, who was acquitted, I should say... Um, and not feel like I need to have a Glock on my hip, but I have one anyway, because I would rather be alive than dead. And it's not going to matter to me at the end of the day, if someone shoots me and I wasn't, I didn't have my firearm on me because it doesn't matter. I'm dead. Like you can blame me. You don't have to blame me. Like, I think that, I think what happens a lot of time, a lot of times is when determining whether or not to leave a relationship it takes a lot of guts because you're overcoming, you have to, a woman have, and I'm talking about women leaving abusive partners. Women have to reconcile with the fact that they're going to be responsible for themselves and their children 100% financially, emotionally, physically, and, you know, safety wise. Should that be how it is? No. But the way the world is and the way the system is set up is that's just an unfortunate reality. I chose Colorado in part to, you know, due to their gun laws. And those same gun laws have come to bite me in the ass because they're not really strict with confiscating or enforcing existing gun legislation, confiscating weapons from abusers. So in my mind, I'm kind of like, well, this is the kind of the price I pay. I chose this state. It's not New York state. I have friends whose exes, you know, just had firearms in the house and they got felony charges. Whereas here it's like, eh, federal gun violations, whatever. Who cares? Like, it's just, I feel like it's the price we pay for living in this country. And, and I just have a very matter of fact way of thinking of it. Like, well, I live in America. I married someone who has a gun obsession. And so as a result, I should probably arm myself. I'd love to live in a fairy, a fairy tale where I don't have to protect myself and stock up on ammo, but I do. And that's just, Unfortunately, it is what it is. Yeah, I agree. I feel the same way. But would you? Would you? How? How would you judge somebody that that comes to a different conclusion? That that they're just gonna, you know, whatever whatever happens happens, but they're not gonna like participate in in their own like personal safety. Like, do you, do you feel like? I I don't feel like anybody like deserves bad things to happen to them, um, but. I guess like, so, sometimes the, the way that I talk, and I agree with you 100%, but sometimes the way that 
the the way that 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 we talk about it, I guess, gets misinterpreted as as like uh, as that sort of that sort of statement. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I don't I don't want to come off callous, um, but you know, I don't. I no woman deserves to be threatened with a firearm or a knife or a vehicle or fire or anything, point blank. Um, but I don't know what the solution is if it's not take every available opportunity to learn how to protect yourself. You know, whether it's living on a, on a college campus where you can't own a gun, but you can carry pepper spray or you can carry a little knife. Like why? I don't know. I'm, maybe it's just cause I'm, that's just the kind of person mom I am. Right, right. I, I, my father's a military officer my whole life. I lived in on military bases surrounded by men. So, so like guns and violence my, is a little demystified for you. Yeah, but also my dad's never been a gun freak. Like, he's just the most straight-laced. He's an officer. He's not enlisted. Like, he's very nerdy and, like, you know. So. <laughs> Dad's going to listen to um, this and be like, I'm not a nerd. Like, hey, hey. <laughs> what are you talking about? By the way, about? I've never seen my dad without a collared shirt on and, like, khaki shorts. Like, he spends his days. He's retired now. He goes to the World War II Museum all the time. And I'm like. It's, Your dad it's sounds like a thing. wholesome fella. He's so wholesome. He's the best guy in the world. But, um. Yeah, I just, you know, I think about, like, I know out here, there are gun shops that have, they'll waive the fee for a CCW class if you can bring your protection order. Like, I think that there are resources, I know of them, for women who are victims of violence to proactively protect themselves and prevent harm. Do I think that they should have to do that? Absolutely not. But unfortunately, the world we live in, we live in, I live in Western Colorado, it is a gun enthusiast paradise, and our district attorney is making it so that gun violence is not his issue. So where we live, I think that women have a responsibility to protect themselves every possible way available, and there are resources for that. Yeah, hell yeah. I think that's really cool that that local gun shop does things like that because there's like a, that's a proactive approach to removing a financial barrier that a lot of people have to getting a gun you know, the, oh, the class is this much money and uh, that's that alone might be enough to deter people from getting it, but anything helps. And that's, that's really neat. So kudos to them. Right. And that is of course, just for a concealed carry, you can open carry in Colorado and no one cares, but it's um no, it's, it's a thing I think around, around the state, I've seen it several places. I've had my CCW for a long time, but there are several places around Colorado where you just have to bring in your your protection order or your, you know, finding of domestic violence. And they will say, okay, the fee is waived. You just have to show up and here it is. That's really neat. You know, at the risk of sounding like we're patting ourselves on the back here, do you, (laughs) do you wonder if maybe, because there, there are people that are just not going to um, be proactive. They're not going to participate in their own personal defense, but do you feel like, 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 doing that and talking about that and creating that atmosphere that, you know, that there are people out there that do it and it's normal might help people that can't or won't uh, protect themselves. You mean like normalizing women taking up arms? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's part of the reason why I've always talked about it. I've always, you know, when I, if there are photos back to when my, my oldest is seven, when she was a baby, I would take her hiking where the baby carrier and you could see my, my, first gun, my Taurus on the baby carrier, like hooked on with a holster. Like, I think, I think normalizing it is great. I mean, I was, I had a CCW before I ever divorced someone who ended up stalking me. 
So I've always talked about why I think that's important because I also like to take my kids hiking. Like it's not just about preventing violence from men. I, bears. There are mountain lions. Right. I live in Colorado. Like I'm not taking my kids out in the wilderness without a firearm. And actually that was the first time I ever talked about guns on social media was within the context of, yeah, I, I, I hike alone with my kids a lot in really remote areas with no cell service, no one around. And, you know, a lot of mothers would write in and be like, aren't you scared? And I'm like, well, yeah, so I carry a firearm. It's no different than if I'm walking yeah. through downtown Detroit. Like, I'm going to be armed. It's just, it's just, I, I think it's normal. Yeah. Do you ever think it just as a tangent, do you ever think it's funny that the same people who always ask you, aren't you scared to do that? Are some of the same people that when they find out you have a gun in a different conversation, they'll be like, well, what are you so scared of? Oh yeah, that is, that's, I never thought of it. Yeah. What are you so afraid of? Well, um, men. (laughs) Yeah. Statistically. I mean, I've never seen a mountain lion on a hike, but I've, there be, be dudes out here. I've never been stalked by a mountain lion, but I've been stalked by a man. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, True. Yeah. What am I so afraid of? Men and animals and dying. Like, I don't. The normal things that you're supposed to be afraid of to get yeah. a civilization to the point we've reached. Right. Like, the things that everyone was asked... afraid of for for thousands of years. My husband asked me a couple months ago, he was like, what do you think, just randomly, he's like, what do you think was the best invention of all time in the history of mankind? And I was like, guns. He's like, <laughs> fucking straight up, dude. I didn't Thank think you, of that. I'm like, and he's a political science major. And I'm like, you didn't, how, did, how do you think we evolved to this point with like, firearms? Like, we wouldn't be here as a country. But anyway. Yeah, that is, that's, I'm sure the History Channel or like the Military Channel has a really good, uh, summarization of, of why that is. And I'm, I feel like I've seen it, but I, I'm going to butcher it if I try. Yeah. You remember when the, the people that had a monopoly on violence were the people rich enough that they could spend all day training how to use swords. Yeah. That fucking sucked. Yeah. That, that sucked for man. a lot of the normal people. <laughs> but you know that swords and machetes are still being used to perpetrate. You know, yeah, that's true. That's young women true. all over the globe. Yeah. But I'd rather have a gun than a sword. Right. For the same Unless, reason, probably, that someone would want to kill someone with a gun, because I can hold a baby in my arm and fire a, a gun. I can't really, like, sword fight. That takes years of practice. Child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can train, but people will, people, yeah. people will look at you funny. Well, you studied well, so- the book. I studied the blade. <laughs> anyway. So what? Do you, so how do you tell your children about firearms? They, they, I, you know, they, they presumably they see you carrying a gun when you're like hiking. They, they probably know about it. How, how do you talk to them about it? It's they're so. It's normal for them. Like my daughter will, she'll double check. She's like, "Did you bring your gun? We're going hiking." And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> that's so. She's, that's accountability that's, right there. Yeah, well, Mom, yeah, and she's also she's the firstborn. She's like. Did you turn off all the lights in the house? Like, I'm like, do you not trust? And I'm like, I can know what I'm doing. I'm your mother. I'm like, just oh. be the kid. She's like, did you bring your gun, mom? I'm like, yeah, I did. But <laughs> um, they know that be- because I've been using, carrying a firearm, taking them hiking, they know that it's for safety. They know that it's to prevent someone or something from harming us. So the same way, same reason why 
I, you know, we drove across the country over Christmas. We drove from Colorado to Louisiana. So we drove across the whole state of Texas. And my daughter is like, did you bring your gun? Even though she knew we weren't hiking, she just knows that I have it with us or my husband has his with us to prevent harm. It's, you know, and we've had very matter of fact discussions about that guns can kill people. That's it's when necessary, it, it will kill someone. That's, I mean, I've shown her the bullet. It's a big bullet. That's just what happens when they're used to hurt people. But, you know, I, I tried to, even though I'm from a military family and my husband was law enforcement for a while, we're not the, the gun nuts. I hate that phrase, but we're not like rah, rah video games. And which I think my prior marriage, that was a little bit more, um, the gun thing was kind of a fantasy thing because they're from a foreign country. So America with the guns, like that was just more of like, Ooh, like they're so exciting. And let's, you know, it was more, it was less reality, more fantasy world. And I think with my kids and my approach is more real world, less fantasy. Like, yes, grandpa was a Marine, but he wasn't going out killing people. And it's not this, and they're also girls, by the way, they're not little boys who are idolizing cops. And Wait, you soldiers. have all girls? Two girls, yeah. Oh, I got two. I'm I, I got two boys. It's already really? it's already a lot of energy. Right, I am having <laughs> my first boy in, in end of July. Early Congrats. Um, thank you. Yeah, but um, but I have three younger brothers who all went through phases of kind of idolizing cops and military and like, oh, it's so cool. And I think I just. I have something different because I have girls. They've never looked at that like, oh, that's so exciting and I want to just shoot people. So it's just a very different conversation. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's really important to point out. The fact that you've normalized it so much that they don't have these like out there thoughts and ideations yeah. in relation to guns that a lot of anti-gun people think people will have the second they're put in a room with a gun. Like that, that people will like, revert oh, to like power now. dinosaur brain type status and just go on a killing spree because they can. And, and in, like in that breath, it's the same people that are like, well, if without religion, you don't have morals, but that's a whole different topic for a different story. But, um, I think it's really, it, it says a lot about it's, you know, you can apply that to anything. You can apply it to alcohol. You can apply that to, to driving a car. You know, I grew up with my dad putting me on his lap and allowing me to drive down the street because we lived on a cul-de-sac, you know, press the pedals when I was big <laughs> enough. And sick, dude. <laughs> it was so cool. Um, and so when I got into a car, I, I felt like it was already demystified to me and I was driving my friends around and they were like, you feel like you look like you've been driving forever. You know, like I, how do you, how are you so comfortable making that turn? Well, I, I don't know. I feel like I've been doing it for a while. And I, I think it's really important to point that out that, by normalizing something, you are you're getting rid of the abnormal behaviors associated with it in a lot of in a lot of instances. Yeah, and my husband and I talk a lot about raising a son and our expectations for that in terms of because all I've known is raising daughters and um, how we really want to be intentional about not fostering a sense of um, cop worship, to put it mildly. Oh, thank you, thank uh, you for that. Future generations will appreciate you. For sure. Well, you know, and it's it's funny because all of my photos of my childhood, my daughters look at. They just love looking at old photos of me as a kid. 
I'm standing next to my dad and his camis, and I I worshipped my father. I loved the Marine Corps. I mean, I could, my kids listen to the Marines hymn on vinyl. Like, it's the military thing is so in our family fabric, but having a son, you know, it's not something, the military, the cop fantasy, that's not something I really want to encourage for lots of reasons, but also I think, you know, especially where we live, it might be really popular to encourage that. We live in a very thin blue line community, to put it mildly. Mm. Um, and we're not like that. So <laughs> I'm trying to be intentional and we're like, we're, my husband and I are both on the same page of that's not something we really want to encourage and we want to have a very, the same frank discussions I've had with my girls I want to have with our son. Like, yes, your grandfather was a Marine officer for 30 years and you have this long line of military history and, and but this is the reality of it. Like, you know, war is a real thing and, and guns are not toys and, and I don't want to, I don't, I don't like Nerf guns, which is, I, mean, I haven't had to really deal with that because I have girls, but I we've just had some very honest heart to hearts lately about, okay, we're having a boy. How are we going to approach this? Because it's going to be different than having daughters. And how are we going to handle it when he's like, well, look, a policeman. I want to, I want to be a policeman. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> like how? <laughs> oh, sorry. I hit a button that I've never hit before and it popped up a notification. Um, yeah, like how do you how do you how do you push him in the right direction without stifling his creativity? Because every kid wants well, to pretend to be things as they're as they're a kid. When I told my dad I wanted to be a NASCAR driver, he wasn't like, "You can't be that, you fucking idiot." Like <laughs> he was like, he was like, "Yeah, dude, you can be a NASCAR driver. That's awesome." You know. Well, I think a lot of this stuff is socialized. I think that I think that as long as you're conscious that you don't want to encourage it, I, I think that that's 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 a huge first step. Because a lot of people take it for granted that boys will idolize soldiers and cops. And I think without even realizing it, they will enforce that. Um, and I think there's just sort of breaking out of that sort of like gender norm kind of kind of uh, mindset will we'll go a long way. Yeah. Um, and also fostering sensitivity and you know respect for women and minorities. Uh, that's going to make him you know less likely to be a cop. <laughs> Did you mean that to sound funny or was just like... It's, did, I'm did I like, I'm, it's like it's a joke, but it's also yeah. I know. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> true. Yeah. I think we also live in a time where, you know, when I grew up, there was a lot more of what I felt like blind patriotism, blind respect yes, for much. authority figures, um, including just like teachers and adults in general, and especially if they wore a uniform, whether well, that also- be. Yeah, there's like a lot of like propaganda. There's a lot of like media that that we were raised on that kind of reinforced those those yeah. you know that that kind of that kind of like gender gender normative. Uh, it's like a worship of of power of authority, um, violence as a tool not of protection but of but of you know how to assert your will. Um, you know, and various toxically masculine kind of concepts. Yeah, I I mean. I'm- I saw it firsthand growing up on military bases. The first, the first men I was ever exposed to were officers in the Marine Corps. So I had a very, my childhood could have been like a, a brochure for military recruiting. I mean, like yeah. we would stay every time we travel, we'd stay on military bases. We go to museums. I mean, I've seen the Blue Angels like every year of my life. And I was in, I remember nine eleven like that was the pivotal moment of my of my life my young life so i remember what's that that was a spooky time 
It's very spooky, especially having a dad who may or may not be deployed to the Middle East. And so I just remember falling. Like, it's weird to look at myself now and think, wow, I have two, almost three children. I'm so opposite how I was 25 years ago, worshiping the military. I mean, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. I wanted to join the military just like my dad. And he sat me down one day and he was like, no, you don't. <laughs> he did say, he was like, he actually, what he said was, do you want to be raped? And I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Now I get why. Jesus. Wow. That's a, yeah, that's I, a pretty funny way to... I had something to, to say after that, that. Or before that, and not, <laughs> and not anymore. <laughs> well, but that's, yeah, honestly, oh, I mean, yeah. as an officer, you know, he probably, shit rolls uphill. And he probably, sexual abuse is rampant in the military. Like, absolutely rampant. And it is something that if you have anyone who wants to join the military, but especially a daughter... Especially uh, if you're a woman going into the military, you have to be fundamentally aware of because that is your your chances of being sexually assaulted are already high. Unfortunately, just as a woman in society going into the military, which is a male dominated, um, you know, magnifying glass concentration of people and testosterone and competition and all these things, it is exponentially higher. And it's fucked up, which I should go without saying, but. That's honestly, I mean, that was probably the frankness was probably appreciated at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, he, of course, he probably never anticipated saying that just like he never anticipated me telling him very matter of factly, I think I want to join the military. So, you know, candor was met with candor and he's like, you're my only daughter. No, absolutely not. Like, I mean, he had other alternatives, like why not the air force? Where it's probably, I don't know if it's worse, not not as bad, but yeah, no, he was just very matter-of-factly, no, that's not happening, you're not doing that. So maybe I won't be so um, off the cuff if my son were to come to me and say, yeah, I really want to join the military. I'd be like, okay, um, you want to go talk to Grandpa? Because he might have some ideas for you. That's a good good, um, delegation. Right. I mean, then again, uh, they don't let they don't let you carry guns on base for self protection, right? Uh oh, we got an theory, answer coming. In theory, um, you know, they will. It's never happened to me. It's happened to a lot of my friends, and I I don't know if it's so. I when I was nineteen, my dad called me up, and he's like, "I'm before he retired, he was stationed in San Diego, and so I lived with him. I was like, hell yeah, I'll go with you." I lived in San Diego on base in officer housing. I was like 19, 20 years old living with my dad. And I'm like, this is the life. Like it was like Top Gun. I was dating pilots. I was having the time of my life. And um, that was also probably scary for him having a, like a young yeah. daughter on a base. <laughs> um, but I befriended a lot of women who were married to enlisted guys. So I have a lot of girlfriends who are still entangled with the military. And I went to go visit some last year in California, and they were like, you can't bring your firearm on base. You cannot do it. I'm like, what? how are they going to know? They're like, they will search your car. And I'm like, oh, God. Like, I didn't, it never happened to me in my father's car, but that's, they will sometimes stop and search your car. It happens all the time. Whether you're, you know, you're supposed to be there or not, they'll just be like, okay, we're just going to tear your car apart and see if you have anything that you shouldn't have. I don't know if it's criminal to bring one on base, but I know that the person that if you are not in the military, if you're staying with someone in the military on that base and you have a gun, that person can get in trouble. So there's a, like, there's, they're really strict on accountability. Weird. 
Yeah, but that's that was like a big thing that uh, you know when that Fort Hood shooting happened. That was a big oh, thing yeah. that anti-gun people latched onto. They were like, on a military base, see, more guns don't save you, and they're completely unaware of the fact that ninety-eight percent of the people on the military base do not have firearms. And the guys that do are the very young MPs at the front gate. Yeah, exactly. And they're they're young. Yeah, and and full of gumption and. Uh, don't always make the best decisions. <laughs> I didn't that's think another... you were going to say gumption. Yeah, gumption. And uh, not dumb, always the best way. Full of gumption. Full of gumption. Full of, full of riffraff. But uh, back to, um, I had a couple more questions about you having guns in the home and with kids and stuff because me being a newish parent and Andrew being a new again parent, um, we actually had a lot of really cool feedback from our listeners about uh these types of episodes where we went into parenthood and things like that. So, uh, you, you said that your, your kid is pretty much, your kids are pretty much normalized with firearms, which is awesome. That's kind of the avenue that I think we're going to end up going. Um, that's the dream. Yeah, exactly. As far as security goes, how do you personally, or how should, no, let me rephrase that. How do you secure your guns in your home? We have gun safes. Easy. We have gun safes. We bring them home. We bring them home. We put them in the safe. Um, when I'm carrying, I have a holster. I have a, I have two different firearms that I carry, um, depending on the day. One's smaller than the other, and depending on where I'm going. Um, I teach at a preschool, so I'm not bringing my firearm in my preschool. Um, but Wait. which is a whole other subject for a different day because. Off to off subject on another tangent. Um, I'm running into the issue where school safety is really not a concern out here, which is interesting which is to odd. me, given that given that I know that our local law enforcement is super super lax on gun laws and um, doesn't enforce existing gun legislation to protect people. And so, working, you know, being a parent, being someone who's been very involved with the criminal justice system, as well as being a teacher, I'm like we could totally address this but we're just choosing not to but anyway um we use we have gun safes at home where we put our firearms and the girls they're not in public view they're the safe the safes are in different locations in the house but um mainly our firearms my husband and i they're mainly for out of the house use we have three german shepherds we have a security system so i'm i'm not really concerned about needing it in the home right away as much as I am out of the house. We don't, we live in a pretty, we live in a neighborhood with a lot of other people who all have firearms. So, um, it's not, it's not something like lying around where my kids are going to be like, look, I found your Glock, mommy. Like, yeah, yeah. It's a way. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what we fell on to. Um, you know, cause before kids, I didn't really care, you know? Um, but we would, there would be times where like, you know, our, our nephew would come over and it would all of a sudden I'd it'd be like, you know, oh sh- shit, like, what do I do with the fucking, what do I do with all the guns? Um, so, you know, I started getting used to, you know, unloading guns, uh, when they're not in use and, you know, putting them in a closet, putting them, you know, back behind, you know, um, and it got to the point where I was like, okay, this is stupid. It's, it's time to get a safe. Um, you know, before, before we even started like seriously, um, considering before we had like planned to have a kid, we got the safe. Uh, but even then it would be like, 
you know, okay, so I have my my fanny pack with my my little mic, you know, subcompact in it, and sometimes I would just like hang that up on the on the thing where we hang our keys uh, when I walk in the door. Uh, and obviously, it's like, you know, when you've got a little like baby that can't even move around, that's not an issue, but it will become an issue. Um, and so we've I've just gotten a lot more serious about you know when I get home, you know, go to the safe, put the gun away. Um, because it's not like it's not like I don't think that it will ever be a, something that I need in my home. Obviously, like home invasions do happen, but it's always a trade off, right? Like, you know, you could have your gun always ready for immediate deployment, and and that is the most that is the most uh, reasonable way. If if your if your primary fear is somebody kicking in your door and assaulting you, you know that makes sense. It's like you always want it ready, but you know you have to kind of like balance that against uh, the risk of unintended access. And, and that's just, that's, that's kind of the compromise that we fell on. When I lived alone with my two daughters, after I left my ex-husband, I didn't have three German shepherds in a security system and a home invasion or someone just breaking down the door was something that I really did consider. And I didn't have a gun safe. So my gun was always at the ready at my previous home. Now, you know, I'm not so, I, th I think about someone kicking down our door. I would know 30 seconds before they were to do that because my dogs would be going apeshit as well as my alarm system would be, the siren would be going off. Law enforcement would already be contacted. So that would, I think that that would give me time to get my firearm at the ready. And at that point, like everyone's awake, the whole neighborhood's awake, you know, the dogs are losing their minds and maybe someone would be deterred from coming in the home because they right, know like, hope. oh shit, she's got a zoo here. We're not going to do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yes, and I, I, that is, it's just, it's an opposite situation that I had before. So there are other, I've taken other measures to prevent or to allow myself the ability to put a gun in a safe overnight so that I know, okay, the likelihood of someone breaking down the door is, it could still happen, but I'll know a little bit ahead of time, yeah. even if it's just half a minute. And e even in the worst case scenario that you've got some sort of like evil golem that's undeterred by dogs or security systems that just like immediately crashes through your door and is coming straight for you. You know, even in that situation, worst case that, scenario here, e like even if that was like <laughs> literally possible, um, you still might want to say, you know, okay, it it makes it makes some sense even even considering this weird scenario it makes it still makes sense to lock the guns up you know just for safety right right and and you know I before my divorce I like have this timeline of like like AD and BC so like before my divorce I had my ex had nephews who were raised by people with no law enforcement or military background so there was a very big sense of cop and maybe not cop worship but gun worship. And I think in an irresponsible way. They really fostered a sense of, like, idolizing war and soldiers in a way that's not realistic because they had no background with it. And so I remember feeling very, very uneasy knowing we had firearms in the house and that these adolescent, maybe 8, 10, 12, 13, 14 boy, year old boys would come in the house. I was more afraid of what they would do, not having the same sense of familiarity or respect for a firearm or just acknowledgement of how powerful they are versus my own children who are like yeah no that's mommy's gun i don't touch it and it's so that she can kill a bear if we need to like i was i'm more concerned about other children coming into my home and finding firearms 
than I am about my own kids because I don't know how someone else is being raised. I don't know yeah. if even my friends are doing the same things that I am. And I don't, you know, here guns are such a, it's a weird subject because I just assume everyone has a firearm in Colorado because I think maybe that's not far off, but it's so normalized where we are that it really doesn't come up with my friends. I just, my kids don't go places without me to begin with. And also I know that, you know, I might have someone come over or have their children over that maybe they weren't raised with the same values or respect for firearms that my kids are. So I'd rather be safe than sorry than have one of my kids get shot because yeah. someone's brother picked up my gun and was like, look, it can, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, now I have a dead kid in a lawsuit. Yeah. And, and doesn't it kind of freak you out too, thinking about your, you said you don't go anywhere with it. You said your kids don't go anywhere without you, but you know, Millie. Millie. I know. She heard, she heard a leaf fall or something. Um, <laughs> God, what was I saying? Does it does it kind of freak you out thinking about like your kid going to someone else's house and like they are like weird and lax about guns? Yeah, I actually remember my mom growing up. She would always ask if people had firearms in the house, and and I wasn't raised around guns. Like even though my dad's military, he I didn't. I knew he concealed carry in, car, c- carried concealed in New Orleans when he was stationed there, and I, that was normal. But he never taught me how to use a firearm. That was not something that was like really normal in our family. Um, I pursued it on my own when I was in college at Michigan State, and um, so growing up, my mother was super. She was very cautious about that, and she would ask, you know, a, the mom of a friend before I go over there, "Do you have guns in the house?" And she had a hard rule where if someone did, I wasn't going. That was just the way it is. And so my girls are young enough where I don't I don't believe in sleepovers anyway. Like if we're if they're close enough, all their friends, I'm also friends, like really good friends with their moms. So if we're having a sleepover, I'm also there. I'm not super worried. Yeah. But they don't go places without me. They're not at that age yet. And so I do worry about oh how other people are because I assume everyone has guns. I can't assume that they are teaching their kids to stay away from them or to not touch them. Like, I don't know if, you know, we go to the neighbor's house who we're not friends with, but if we go to the neighbor's house and my kids go over there, I don't know if so-and-so has a gun on the counter. Like I just, I, I don't trust other people necessarily to take the same proactive measures with their children and their firearms that I would take in my house. And also I'm married to a lawyer. So I'm always thinking about like liability and I don't, I don't want to have to worry about that. So I'd rather be safe than sorry. And if that makes us seem antisocial or kind of like, mm, they're really uptight. That's okay. My kids are alive. Yeah. That makes sense to me. And, and it, it is one of those things too, where it's like, I, I think like really pro gun people bristle at this idea of like asking people if they have guns or being asked if you have guns in the house, like people that will not shut the fuck up about guns ever in their life. <laughs> if you're like, Hey, do you have guns in your house? Cause my kid's going over there. They're like, you know, what are you the fucking ATF? Um, yeah. you know, and, and I, I shit talk every town, the, the gun control people, I have prescription all the time. drugs all over the place. Oh yeah. This is America. But but like I'm more concerned about like someone's oxycodone on the counter than I am yeah. about a gun. But it should like, be the same. Like that's right. Like yeah, yeah. But that's Sorry, also Andrew. sort of like you want to talk about domestic violence and mass shootings. Let's talk about SSRI use. But that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> no, really though. But but yeah. So so the 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 gun control people put out a script. They had a whole like ad campaign about this, and they like hired social media people. 
and they have like a script for parents that like don't know what to say or how to ask. That's actually like mostly reasonable until until you get to the uh, the end where it's like, and make sure that you tell them that they should uh, keep their guns unloaded and never touch them. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know. So I I don't know. It, it's just one of those things where it's like, I I wish it was more normal to just be like. You know, hey, what's the like? What's the gun situation at your house? And just like have like a like a like a normal a normal conversation, conversation without any baggage. Yeah. yeah, and I I think sometimes I have fallen back on my upbringing and you know what my husband does for work or did for work. So I I you know I don't I'm kind of like oh hey like you know I'm just curious like do you guys have guns here? I'd rather sound dumb but still get the same answer hey, than Ryan. just sound. Accusatory. I'd be like, where are your guns located, and can any of your kids get to them right now? Like, I just, I still want to have friends. Maybe not be so abrasive. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's something that I, I actually gave them credit for, and we posted something a while ago about how the number one cause of death in children now is firearms. And granted, there is a lot of, well, so before I get into that, the first thing people did was tear apart the data. And as if I didn't do that to have the most credible data possible before I made this argument, there were a lot of things about it that did that rubbed people the wrong way. Oh, well, they used 19-year-olds. They, they, went, they, chose, they called 19-year-olds kids. Okay, well, is the one year really making that big of a difference when you <laughs> take away the 19-year-olds that are being killed with guns? We should just no longer take this into consideration anymore because they're using 19-year-olds? Well, I think that what they're, what they're talking about, that's well, the worst thing to fixate on, but, but they yes. were talking about using like older children who are sometimes involved in like gang violence. Well, and, and there like... was a lot of that, and that's what I – I cited all of this, dude. Like I was like, okay, there's yeah. they did it different age groups. They did zero to four. They did like five to nine. They did like ten to fourteen, fifteen to nineteen, and they broke down how the person, how the kid was killed with guns. And some of it was in criminal activities. Some of it was accidental. But the point of the matter was, guns were the a gun incident, not guns. An incident with a gun was the number one cause of death in kids in the year. 2022 i think it was or 2021 it might have been and the whole point of the post go for it um or i can just link it to you um but the whole point of the post was to be like hey like we just have to be more proactive about this we have to as gun owners be responsible and that means many different things to different people and this is why we're against safe storage laws just at the outset of it because everyone's situation is different emily you look like you're gonna say something so I pulled up, I think I pulled up what you're talking about. It said gun deaths among U.S. kids increased 50% between 2019 and 2021. Is that because perhaps all children were home? Not That's another school? huge part of it. That kids were kept at home. Kids were isolated. Kids were bored. A lot of things like that. Kids went out and they started acting out. And they started doing things they shouldn't be doing. A myriad of variables that incre that caused that to increase. But it wasn't necessarily about even the number. It was like, hey, as gun owners, we should be proactive we should be asking our parents our friends parents like do you have guns in the home and using that as like a determination you know is this person a responsible parent and can i trust my kid over there if they have guns in the home not you know hey guys we're taking a page out of the anti-gunners book yeah. and trying to make gun owners look <laughs> like, dumb because they're killing their kids like it wasn't i don't know why i automatically go to that accent but, <laughs> um 
Okay, George Bush. Yeah. So it says, this is PewResearch.org. Homicide was the largest single category of gun deaths among children and teens in 2021, accounting for 60% of the total that year. It was followed by suicide at 32%. Totally, I feel like that would make sense because the rate of mental illness in children alone went up significantly when you denied them social contact, followed by suicide at 32% and accidents at 5%. Um, in addition to the data on gun fatalities, the CDC publishes an estimate, the non-fatal gun-related injuries. So there were 11,000 more emergency room visits in 2020, far higher than in any other recent year. But that doesn't say how much higher. Far higher. Like, that's so subjective. Yeah. Who's to yeah, say yeah. what? But I would argue that any increase, significant increase in gun-related death or injury it's probably due to the fact that, well, you know, it's taken into consideration. Everyone was home. Yeah. And if well, guns are kept reason. at home because mom's not, mom and dad aren't taking their guns to work with them, everyone's in the same home, everyone's on Zoom trying to make, you know, keep up with whatever's going on. No one's really paying attention. Of course that's going to happen. Like, yeah, duh. absolutely. But the, yeah. Yeah. The point of it was just agree. like, hey, we should talk about this more. And yeah. right. Which I respect. Have it yeah. be a conversation and that we're having. especially if, if we're home all the time, yeah, you sh- I, I'm, you know, someone asked me, because I talk about dating, I talk about dating after divorce, I talk about getting remarried, having more kids and life after divorce, you know, like, again, the 80 versus BC thing. And someone said, we're talking about red flags in dating, and within the context of kind of avoiding, not to be victim blaming, but avoiding abusive relationships. And the consensus was, you can't really predict human behavior. I think everyone has the capacity to be an abuser or a perpetrator of harm against other people, men and women. Um, but someone actually wrote in, she said, it's a red flag for me. If someone doesn't, if a guy doesn't have a gun safe or actually have good, a good view of gun safety. And I said, you know, there are a lot of red flags that I think are great. I think this is one that personally I'm pretty strict about. I, that to me, it's, it seems just like it shouldn't be a political thing. It shouldn't be a sensitive issue. Either you, you are proactive and you want to prevent a lawsuit or injury or death, or you don't. And I don't think that that's something that really should be nuanced, but for some reason it's pretty offensive to people who are like, how dare you expect me to lock up my guns? I'm like, well, then I just yeah. won't come to your house. <laughs> no, for sure. I, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with that. And especially if it's like, it's one thing if you're like, you know, yeah, I just don't really think about it a lot. But then it's another thing when someone's telling you, you know, Hey, this is an issue for my safety and for my kids' safety, and for you to just be like, you know, blase about it, you know, at a at a minimum, you could be like, yeah, okay, good input, I'll I'll take that under consideration. But to be like resistant to it or have like a dim view of like being safe with guns yeah. is 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 like a is like a personality problem. <laughs> yeah, and it's probably indicative of some other issues. Right, because that that being headstrong and refusing to see any other perspective, that to me, that is a red flag, like across the board. Like if you can't even reason with someone about that, when especially it comes to just something as, I would think it's not controversial at all. Gun gun safety, I don't think is controversial. Gun legislation, yeah, controversial. But the safety aspect, I mean, I'm a gun owner. My husband's a gun owner. I have two, almost three children. I want them to be safe, point blank. Absolutely. Hell yeah. So as far as speaking of your husband, do you guys disagree or agree? Do you guys disagree anywhere when it comes to firearms and your kids in relation to that? Or have you guys been pretty much on the same page? You know, 
We met when he was a prosecutor, and um, and I was going through a criminal case. He wasn't on the case. We met away from the courthouse, but it was kind of a scandal. But we, he was in the same office prosecuting my ex-husband. And I think he's not a prosecutor anymore. And he he's more left-leaning than I ever was. And I have a degree in gender studies now. Like, we're both coming at this from very different perspectives. And um, he's much more left-leaning than I am, but he was working in law enforcement. And so in the state of Colorado, prosecutors are technically peace officers. You can carry a firearm. It's you are a law enforcement officer, essentially. And so we both had a healthy distrust of government, despite us both being in a situation that required us to, I don't want to say fake it, but at least kind of just fall in line for the time being. And so we, I think we both, I was in a situation where I carried a firearm because I had a stalker out in the world. And he was in a situation where he carried a firearm because he was putting people in jail for violent crimes. And that makes him a target. And so despite being more left-leaning socially, we both had this very, like, just matter-of-fact way of acknowledging, yeah, no, this is, we live in an area where people who really shouldn't be allowed to have firearms because they are violent and scary people are having them. And we live in a community where that's not a, that's not a pressing issue for law enforcement and even his own former boss. So we, I don't think we disagreed. I think, interestingly enough, despite our very different backgrounds, we had a similar view on this is just the way that it is. We live in a community that everyone's got a gun, whether they're good or bad. And there's a spectrum. And so we're just going to carry to keep ourselves safe, whether we're hiking or whether we're going to a custody exchange or going to the courthouse. It's I'd rather. And so would he. We'd rather be safe than sorry. That's cool. It's a really I I think that's a fundamental thing that is is I don't want to say a luxury because you still have to work at it. But it's it's very convenient when you both agree on something as as substantial as that almost right off the bat. Yeah, I, he's not someone that I would have ever seen myself being with. <laughs> I, I say I joke that it's off brand for me to have married a prosecutor, but um, <laughs> but he's not one anymore. So all's well that ends well. My wife and I talk about that all the time. She was a jock in high school, and I was a band geek, and very different. I was like a huge stoner, and she was like very proper. Not proper. I mean, I, I she's gonna listen to this and be like, I was fun. She was she was fun. But... <laughs> Your fucking impression gives it away. Yeah, yeah. She... <laughs> I'm, I'm not. She didn't drink I, until I, college, I, and like that's not a bad thing because you sh- shouldn't. She I was sh- a good girl. Yes, yes. She was very yeah, focused yeah. on her academics, and she had a ton of really. I, I didn't either, but that's because uh, I had uh, substance abuse problems in the home, and so I was put off of the whole idea of doing any of that. Oh. So did I, but I went the other way, but we can talk about that another day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and it's interesting because when we started dating, I told her that I had a gun. um, And I think I got it around the same time. How did you say it? Did you just scream it really loud at her? I have a gun. (laughs) I think it, I think it, um, well, when I, actually, you know what? I don't, we didn't, I didn't have a gun when we first started dating, but I told her I wanted one. And, uh, it was when I turned 21 
It was right after I turned 21. I'm sorry. I'm getting the dates mixed up. And I think she was just, she kind of still is just apathetic about it, which was nice to an extent because she didn't fight me on it and she understood my reasons for having it. Um, I, but I've tried multiple times to her, for her to get her permit. At this point, she's competent enough to use a firearm, but she has no interest in carrying, so there's no reason for her to get her permit. Um, but it it's definitely nice when you when you're with someone who doesn't who doesn't have a fundamental disagreement on why you should or shouldn't own firearms. Yeah, well, you know, my my experience is pretty different. You know, we my wife and I started dating in high school, and we were long distance during college. Um, and I got it. I got into guns when I turned. Um, so I got, I took my grandpa's rifle with me back to Phoenix when I was like 19 or 20. And then when I was 21, I got a handgun and I started really getting into guns and, um, my then girlfriend was not into it. Um, which makes sense, you know, giving, giving her some credit. I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to throw her under the bus and be like, Oh, she's an, she was anti-gun or whatever. No, she didn't want me having guns. Cause I was like a confrontational person. I was, um, you know, not, not a, not a careful and situationally aware person. Um, you know, I, 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 I was not like a bad guy. I wasn't like out there getting in, getting in trouble and starting fights, but definitely not the kind of person that you would look at and be like, Oh, I trust that person walking around with a gun. Um, but you know, it, it took some time and over time, like gun ownership and getting into the philosophy of having guns, um, definitely changed, you know, how, how I interact with the world and, you know, how, how I see my, my place out and out, out in, in society. Um, and you know, o- over time, my, my change in behavior made her a lot more comfortable, um, with me having guns and in particular, you know, with, with her, you know, being involved in gun ownership. Yeah, I think that my, you know, dating after my divorce, I've always dated men who had firearms. That was just, I dated military guys, of course, growing up around the military, it's really all I had access to for a long time. (laughs) But um, my, I just, I have this idea, when I say that my husband's not someone I thought I would end up with, um, I have this idea that someone I would end up with would be far more right wing in that sense than, you know, a guy with a law degree. Um, So when I think about, like, I carry a firearm. That's not something I'm going to give up. And when I was single and dating, there aren't, number one, there aren't many options in these Western states for women outside of very blue areas. It's just kind of a desert. But I knew that whoever I were to date would have to be comfortable with the fact that I own a firearm and I'm not going to give that up. So statistically, the person I end up with would probably also be someone who owns firearms. So... That was just, that's something that I just assumed would happen. I had this idea that the person I would marry after my ex-husband would be someone in a lifted pickup truck with, like, a gun rack in the back. And instead he drives, like, a little Subaru. And I'm like, yes, so Subi gang, Subi gang. Rise up, rise up. <laughs> We're out here. There are dozens of us. Yeah. <laughs> There's at least... And he's got a sticker in the back that says question authority. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh my God. That's you, dude. Let's go. Let's go. There's at least six of us under the age of 70. So that's that's a plus. <laughs> We're putting together a list. The yeah. gun owning Subaru drivers. That's so funny. Yeah, you wouldn't think it looking at him because I'm like, you look just like a, you know, hippie kid who's now an attorney. And 
now you carry a firearm. It's just, it's, you know, I don't, I don't think of it like, you know, when I see that gun ownership in Colorado is so normalized, I just assume everyone has it, whether they're the hippie in Chacos driving a Subaru or they're, you know, in the lifted pickup truck with the gun rack in the back. I just assume everyone's got it's a firearm. It's a safe assumption. Yeah. Well, it's, and it's true though. Like my, I remember I worked at a, I worked in a, how can I say this without giving out way too much information because it's, so, it's such a small community. I worked in a, worked with a lot of moms and one of the women I worked with, um, I was really nervous when I met her. And pretty soon after I started working at this place, I said, I got to go to the to Colorado Springs because I have a class I'm taking. And I just started working there. And she, and this was the boss. And she was like, oh, a class, okay, whatever. It's sketchy the way you won't tell me what it is, but have fun, have a great trip. And I come back and she's like, and I just started working there. So I was so nervous about them, like, not liking me and she goes so what was the class on i said well i got my concealed carry permit she's like oh you want to see my revolver that i carry in my diaper bag and i'm like i would have never thought that it's just like a normal thing that like these moms with these homeschooling kids and driving minivans are just like carrying in their diaper bags these like revolvers it's just you just assume that everyone here has a firearm on them yeah hell yeah yeah well because if you if you assume that they're armed like what's the worst that can happen like what do you what do you lose by assuming that about someone who might not be? But I also forget that maybe not everyone assumes that about us. Yeah, like, yeah, true. I'm like, oh, you don't carry? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Something's Weird. wrong with you. Strange. <laughs> Suspicious. Are you not allowed? Is that why? Yeah, right. Yeah. Are you are you prohibited? What have you done? Right. Are you coming to work? Um. So it is. It's definitely. Interesting, because living in Connecticut, I assume the opposite. And there are a ton of gun owners in Connecticut, but there are people make it known that they are anti-gun here. Like it is a bumper sticker that you see. Just it's all we also, to their credit, have a ton of CCDL stickers, which is the Connecticut Citizens Defense League, and they're great as far as the work they do against like the anti-gun legislation and stuff like that. But it's it's nice having people around you with guns. It's nice having a partner who's into guns as well. Do you how do you guys handle the responsibility of safety in the home? Like the safety of your family? Do you feel that it is cuz I think historically speaking it's been a very like masculine type assumption that the the women have typically been in charge of caring and the men have been in charge of protection. And I definitely see over the last couple of years, especially that met that that um, kind of being flipped on its head because I've seen way more women come out and become first time gun owners and have the ability to protect their family. And with the increase of stay at home jobs, way more men staying at home and being like uh, caregivers. And so how yeah. do you guys how do you guys feel about that dynamic and how do you work that out between the two of you first of all like is planning for for self-defense is that domestic labor and second of all how do you split it up jesus now you're making me use my gender studies degree (laughs) let's go i I never thought i'd have to use that Um, (laughs) (laughs) um which i actually use it way more often than i ever thought i would or anyone told me I would. Um, you know, it's funny because, God, that's a good question. So, you're we welcome, three audience. Shepherds. You're right. Yeah, make me use my brain. We so we have three German shepherds, and my husband had one 
the older one that he picked up on the side of the road in rural northwest Arkansas, where he's from. And he's had her his whole, all of his 20s. And so she's kind of neurotic. She's kind of a little useless in my, in my heart. Aren't we all a little but bit? Last summer, one of my good girlfriends out in LA, her sister is a police officer and she and her police officer partner who is a canine cop they his canine had puppies with her rescue and she was like do you want one well i think it was reverse i think i i approached her i said can i have one of these puppies and so i flew out in july to specifically get this black german shepherd because i knew that this dog was bred to be um a, a defense dog, home defense, personal protection dog. I was like, if I want it, I'm not going to go to a breeder and get a golden doodle. I want a dog that has <laughs> scary dog privilege and um, it's going to be my little good girl princess. And so I flew out to LA when this dog was 10 weeks old and my husband and I weren't married at the time, but I just was like, no, I'm getting this dog. And this is just the way that it is. Like, you're not going to talk me out of this. I want my dog. We have the space for it. I'm getting my German Shepherd. And so I did. I carried her in a baby carrier on the plane. And I flew home. And he picked me up at the airport. And the kids are like, we got our puppy. And, I'm, and she's, you know, barking at him. She looks like a wolf. She's beautiful. But anyway, I took that into my own hands. Like, I, I just, this is something that I've always wanted to feel safe in my own home. And so in, in addition to having a security system and guns and stuff, I wanted a, a dog that will, look, will scare someone. Just that's it. But since then, we adopted another one who's useless, but he's a shepherd. But it's kind of, I don't look at it like domestic labor. I look at it like I'm a human and I've been through some shit in the last couple of years and I want to feel safe. And whether, you know, it's my responsibility or his is kind of irrelevant because we both have the same common goal of wanting to keep ourselves safe and protected. And we both also know, based on our own experiences, personally and professionally, that law enforcement is not someone we can rely on. So at the end of the day, it does fall on us to keep ourselves safe. I don't, I don't, it's never occurred to me that that might be a gender role thing. Like, well, it's his responsibility to keep us safe and, and take all necessary precautionary measures i mean he did install a security system without me asking but also i think he would have done that regardless if i was here or not because of his line of work so you know i think maybe we're not a good couple to ask because our situation is so tied to the criminal justice system and the, the legal system so we both have very unique perspectives that make us independent of one another want to be safe and we've both done things that will keep us safe in theory yeah well, for the record, I do think you're a good couple to ask because you are a guest and we value your opinion. And that's why we have you here, Emily. <laughs> um, well, but I think at a, at a minimum, it, it sounds like you guys do both contribute to the, yeah. to, to, to the overall picture of, of, of security and safety for the family. Even if it's not like, an, like, a, like a, a conversation that needs to be had. You just, you just broke up. Man. You cut out what oh, I'm had. sorry. I said even if it's not a conversation that needs to be had. Like, you're both being proactive. Yeah. And we're both always thinking of it. And I don't know, is that paranoia? Is that PTSD? Is that, you know, just, I don't know what it is. Well, you know, a little bit of A, a little bit of B. Yeah. I, hyper <laughs> vigilant. You know, and that's, that's one thing that, you know, it, it, my, my wife has a CPTSD. And, and you know, she, she has a very complex kind of relationship with her hypervigilance uh, where, like, 
uh, and she's also got you know generalized anxiety, so that that it, those kind of uh, meld together and become you know super mental illness. But um, she 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 values it sometimes, and she appreciates it sometimes, and then other times it's like a huge pain in the ass to be always thinking about it. Uh, but is it paranoia? I don't know because um, you know even if something doesn't come to pass, that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean it it was never going to happen. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't prepare for something that is like a low like likelihood of happening. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think that, I think that like, a, like a lot of, of, uh, mental problems, you know, the, the, the line between paranoia and preparedness is like, how much does it interrupt or disrupt your life? That's really like, are you metric. suffering for it or are you managing that alongside doing the normal things that you would have to do? And, and I think that if, if, if you're still functioning, you know, decently as a, as a, as a, as a family member, as a member of society and a human being, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any level of, of, um, preparedness that, that, that you shouldn't, that you should feel like bad about, uh, thinking about. No, and I think also my husband and I grew up in very, very different situations. He was raised by a single mom, and then she passed away when he was in middle school, and he was raised by his aunt who never had kids. So he's always been surrounded by proactive, strong, independent women. And so when we met, and he's like, oh, you've got two kids. He was like, well, awesome. Like, all I've ever known is women who Fucking can take sweet. care of their love kids. And um, he's like, oh, but your ex-husband's a stalker? Sounds great. Like, yeah, easy. Not... <laughs> easy. <laughs> right. It's not even, so, you're not even giving me a challenge here. Right. He's like, yeah, we'll just see about that. No. Um, <laughs> we had a reality check real soon. But um, so I think for him, like, I grew up seeing parents. You know, my mother was proactive in asking if people had guns in the home. And I saw my dad carry concealed. And we lived on military bases. So I was raised with two parents who were so proactive about safety and checking into things like and not letting me go to sleepovers and vetting people. And my parents always kept me safe and both my father and my mother. And so he was raised by women who everything fell on them. And I think it wasn't off putting for him to get used to me being like, you know, again, is it paranoia or is it just trying to be smart? So it's, it's an ongoing conversation. Like, Hey, what if, what about, you know, we, we put a camera up at this angle and he's not like, you're crazy. Like you're paranoid. It's just, no, I think that's a great idea. And I respect that you give a shit about that. Cause the alternative is a, someone who doesn't care about these things. And I don't, I don't think either one of us would want to be with someone who would, you know, sort of gaslight us and be like, you're crazy. Why do you think about that stuff? That's not <laughs> a big deal. Yeah. It's sorry. I thought I was unmuted. It's nice to, to share that mental load. Because I think it is, uh, there are a lot of relationships out there, and it's not necessarily a bad thing because, you know, people contribute in other ways. But the safety of a family is is a big responsibility, and when it's primarily one person over the other, and uh, it, that could be draining for a lot of people. So, I think having you know a cooperative outlook on it, even if it's not both contributing equally, but one person, you know, cooperating and not going against what the other person's trying to do in order to right, keep the right. person safe is very and, helpful. And, you know, keep, keeping, you know, th there's also like a line between like gaslighting, like, you know, oh, you don't need to worry about that. And like reality checking someone like 
And I, and I think that like keeping on the right side of that line is also important for sure. Cause there's definitely been things that, that, that I like, Oh, well what it, you know, oh, we got to prepare for this. And then, you know, my wife's like, okay, but you know, you really want to spend time on that when there's like, yeah. you know, all this other stuff to worry about. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I laugh you know, about a, it. That was a pretty far out of left field kind of, kind of uh <laughs> vision of disaster. Yeah. Uh, maybe I should just focus on like doing the dishes and taking out the trash. <laughs> You're not cleaning Start the guns that. tonight. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, we definitely split the mental load in that regard. And, we're just as invested. I think we both, because of our experience in the legal system, we both understand a few things that, like I said, law enforcement's not reliable. Protection orders and such are not going to keep us safe. And we know that there there are people who dislike us for various reasons. And, you know, it might have been because of his job, might have been because of my prior relationship. So, and my social media presence, which is a whole other layer of complexity, but you know, it's, we're both, he does a really good job at not trying to just dismiss my concerns and be like, you're paranoid. You're fine. Like, no, actually it's better to be safe than sorry. Yeah. yeah and you know, I, I, my, uh, my therapist told me this, uh, that, you know, regardless of the likelihood of, of something bad happening, like, I guess the, the, I'm trying to remember her exact words, but the, but the way she said it was basically that like, you know, doing what you can to prepare for something that's freaking you out, uh, you know, it is in a, in and of itself sort of like, like treating the problem. And you know, that, that is a kind of self care and that is a kind of like uh you know, like looking after your anxiety, you know, as long as it's not like destroying, as long as it's not like getting in the way of other things, you know, as long as you're not like, like wasting money, wasting time, um, Oh, you're muted. Big mute. Still muted. Still muted. <laughs> I you said as long as it doesn't get in the way. I'm like watching my ring monitor as. as oh, you that's guys so do funny. all the time. I have <laughs> yeah. I have on my cam. I have um uh four security cameras, and sometimes if I'm just not doing anything else, I'm like, mm, I wonder what's going on on the cameras. I'll Dude, just like pull it up and look. My camera is so my camera will tell you when there's a person detected, and it yeah. has. I think yeah, we have, but not always. Sometimes it misses it, and you gotta look. No, even worse. Sometimes it's not a person. Sometimes it's like rain or a fucking turkey, and I'm like, <laughs> like there's a man at your door. It's three o'clock <laughs> in the morning, and it's like person detected inside yard, and I'm like, what the fuck? And I can't. It won't load fast enough. I'm like, oh, what God, do I need I to do right now? Load. Yeah. I'm waiting on Wi-Fi. I'm like, fuck. God damn it. The like, the could be updating. in the house by now. Yeah, seriously. Well, I joke. Oh God, like, yeah. What was that, Emily? Sorry. I was saying that just happened to us the other day. It actually happened last summer. My husband took a trip to um, Arkansas, and I was home with my kids, and we only had one dog at the time. It was right before I got the other dog. And all of a sudden, the alarm starts going off. Like, we have a ring system, so it's a siren. And I'm like... Oh my god, it's happening! And I had just gotten a court order like two days or the day before saying that I was probably going to get sole custody of my kid. And I'm like, oh my god, he's coming to get me! Like, this is Jesus. it! And I call the cops and they're like, and I'm like, I'm locking myself in my room, I'm not coming out. And so they come in, the kids are, it's just mayhem. And he's like, the ring, it was so hot here because it gets up to 110, it melted the glue, the adhesive from the door so the thing slipped. He's like, everything's fine. Holy shit. But it was. Just the alarm, like the little, the, the 
on the door and the wall and one fell down and I was like, oh. yeah. but, oh my God, I, my poor kids are like, right. We live in a <laughs> fortress. <laughs> No, but that's but that's like a time and place kind of like situational bit yeah. of you don't of anxiety, think that's going you know? to happen, right? And it, you know it's exacerbated by that's like if that happened to you now, you would probably be like you'd probably like take a second and like you know take in your surroundings and figure things out. But because of of the of what had just happened in court, you know, oh you, God, yeah. a little bit of a yeah. heightened situation. So I, I, don't, I don't think that's an unreasonable <laughs> response. Call. I'm like hiding in my closet. I'm like, oh, you guys need to come right now. I'm so scared. And they're like, it's just the glue melted. That's okay. Yeah, it's glue, Emily. Right. Yeah, we had uh, a couple months after our system got installed, and we have glass break detectors. And we've got motion detectors in the basement and in the garage. I have a camera in the garage also to I don't know look at my shit because people break <laughs> into your garage and there's no yeah, security in my garage. Like that happened to me as a kid. Yeah, it's crazy. People just get yeah, door someone open. opened the my stepdad was from BFE upstate New York and so he never locked the car doors as I was growing up. And so someone just opened the car door, grabbed the garage door opener, and raided our garage. Yeah. That's shit's terrifying. Yeah. Um and we uh, our alarm went off because it the motion the basement motion detector went off. And I was like, Well, that's not good. So it asks you, Do you want the cops to show up? And I said, Yeah, because I wasn't home. And I was like, I, you know, if somebody's in my house right now, I need to know about it. I'm looking at my cameras and I'm like, nothing's fucking loading. And then it loads and I didn't see anything, but I was like, all right, maybe there's a couple blind spots that have been fixed now, but, um, for security reasons. Uh, but at the time I was like, maybe they just happened to walk through this or whatever. And I didn't even think that there was a, we have door alarms also. And the basement door alarm was never tripped, nor were any of the exterior alarms, just the basement motion detector. And what we found out was during a certain time of year, during a certain time of day, the sun comes through the basement window in just the right way to where it reflects off of the motion detector and sets it off. So we were like, well, that was the dumbest fucking thing ever that we never would have thought of. <laughs> but now we know. Right. Yeah, those. I feel kind of bad for these responding officers because they're like, oh, these fucking ring systems are always going. I'm looking at ours right now. Yeah, because it's technology. You know, if they feel any way that we do when we go to, like, a life alert system, people who accidentally <laughs> hit their life alert buttons, they don't mind because 99% of the time it's some elderly person who got rolled over in bed and hit it by accident. But we'd rather go and somebody answer the door than us not go – than us – not go and the person be dead. Okay, well, you don't compare fired? your yeah. attitude to that of a, a police officer. I'm not comparing my attitude. I'm just saying hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they they have a similar outlook on people in need. Yeah, hopefully cops are gracious and merciful and you know happy to be there and happy to help. Yeah. But I was actually, I mean, speaking of which, we have two dogs and they're two yippy dogs. I was actually nervous when the cops asked to go into my home because I was like my. Chihuahua is a fucking asshole sometimes, and I don't know if God <laughs> really forbid not. this dude is gonna be. It's he's it, today's gonna be the day he's gonna fear for his life. He's coming right at me. Yeah, and my my fourteen pound dog is gonna be melted to the sidewalk because he decided to, to you know, end the threat. But uh, <laughs> for the record, my dog has bitten people before and has and and they've compared it to like. 
uh, a baby playing with like nibbling on their hand. It's not you're not going to draw blood, but it's a chihuahua anyway. I was nervous I've been, about that. I've been, I've been bitten by chihuahuas, like like really bitten. I, well, I, I don't think, think he's really biting. I think that's the thing. Yeah, exactly. I think he has yeah, the think... potential to, but I don't think he does. Yeah. He's just a little nibbler. Somebody taught him before we adopted him. Somebody taught him to hate cops. And, and you know, that's... He also hates all men with beards, which is interesting. Hey there, everybody. We hope you're enjoying the episode. If you do like what we're about and want to support us, our Patreon is a fantastic way to do so. It allows us to improve the podcast in many ways and helps fund our alcoholic coffee beverage stash to assist on those late night recording sessions. Now you may be thinking, this podcast has me absolutely smitten and I would love nothing more than to throw money at you, but what's in it for me? Well, I'm glad you asked. When you become a patron, you automatically get access to an exclusive collection of clips from the podcast not heard anywhere else. On top of that, we have a wide range of tiers available that will get you merch, discount codes, and even free gear delivered to you monthly. For any patrons currently listening to this, we are super thankful for your support and for keeping the dream alive that one day I will be able to meet Andrew and make sweet, sweet podcast magic with him in person. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash abetterway2a in the episode notes for the podcast or on the link in our Instagram bio. All right, now, that's all for that. Back to the show. Love little brains, man. They're, they're, it is, it's so cool like seeing her grow and, and learn things for the first time and it's like pure innocence. I never thought I'd be this person. We've gone into detail in other episodes about how like traumatic, just garbage growing up and not wanting to be parents and then loving being a parent and stuff like that. But yeah, it is, it is absolutely wild to just have this like wholesome little nugget, just seeing everything for the first time and getting to like witness things through her eyes. It's so healing for me. It is. That's good. She said "dada" today for the first time, like prompted. Oh. So she's, I I didn't know this, but apparently know. "dada" is the most common first word because it's the easiest sound for them to make. Don't burst my, don't kill my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> we were watching Miss Rachel today, and Miss Rachel said, "Can you say dada?" And she went "dada," and I went. It was the first time she had ever said it, like com- like on on a prompt, and I fucking lost my shit it was like seven in the morning carly was still sleeping and i was like i can't be loud i can't be loud but it was amazing did you record it no because i didn't know she was going to do that i recorded her saying dada before but not but just saying you know babbling and just stuff like out that. in the wild just in the in real life exactly watching miss rachel watch. that's real yeah we, <laughs> we, real we were like oh we're never gonna let her watch youtube and stuff like that and then oh my we, god same but it's actually it's like educational and stuff. It's not like Coco Melon or like those cartoons or anything like that that I can't stand that I'm sure I'm gonna cave on eventually, but it's like yeah, it has its use. We do like twenty minutes a day, if that. Just when like in between in between naps, like after uh Yeah, we we yeah. were the same. It started ten minutes, then fifteen, then twenty, then thirty. Now it's whole movies. <laughs> but as they get older too, they 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 get the sure. like the stomach for that kind of stuff too. Their attention span is short right now. Yeah, yeah. There's still time. There's still time. I I think the important thing is so, so the 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 studies the science says that the biggest problem with screens and TV and all that is that it delays language development. Um, and one of the theories is that. Uh, people when they're looking at screens aren't aren't listening and they aren't talking. So if the whole family is watching TV, they're not talking to each other. And the main way that kids learn how to talk is you know listening to crosstalk. 
Um, and so we, uh, we develop the annoying habit of talking, uh, during watching TV, you know, he's a, cause he, we put on like baby signing time and now like miss Rachel. Um, and you know, we would try to like get in there with him and be like, Oh, did you see what she said? Or, or, you know, like we would like respond as no, he's as like, shut like, up dad. By. I'm trying to watch. Yeah. Well, no, no. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I hope he doesn't end up being a movie talker. Like, <laughs> his first time in the <laughs> Those theater. Are the worst. Like, Hey guys, did you see that? <laughs> Like fucking shut What's up, happening? Dude. Why are they scared? Why did they go in there? <laughs> we just started watching. So my kids are four and a half and seven, and they're just now getting. They're like, I mean, they hold conversations. They were not super big on screens. We lived on a farm for a while when they were little, and um, but we're just starting the sound of music. And my my husband's mom was a theater professor. So he's super into musicals and he's into literature and like, I mean, he's like, I'm so excited to teach these kids all the things that I learned as a kid. And now we're going to start with the sound of music. And I'm like, I've never seen it. And of course, I'm thinking of it like the historical context. I'm like, is he a Nazi? Is he a Nazi? And my four-year-old goes, who's a Nazi? Like, what? And so I'm like, oh my God. Like you're just supposed to watch the film. You're not, and I'm like googling things. I'm like, who was this guy? And what is this? What was the actor in this? And he's like, shh, stop talking. Just shh. don't. That's just let so him funny. enjoy the film. He doesn't, he doesn't need to know about Nazis yet. Right. The world is yeah, pure. My daughter. My daughter. Who's? What's that? I'm sorry. No, I said the world is pure and everyone loves each other. Right. Anyway, Emily, I think we have absolutely. Um, fucking killed it yeah yeah we so andrew i'm not supposed to blow up his spot like this but uh hold on oh no what are you doing i'm gonna blow up your spot what andrew the second like so our last guest he was uh was it our last guest no two yeah our last guest we had chris chang on um he as soon as i confirmed with andrew that he was coming on andrew in the text was like fuck yeah we got him like super pumped like i can't believe this is real and the second I asked you, like, the first question, he texted me. He's like, so sick. Or no, he's like, this is fucking sick. That's what he says. <laughs> Shut up, man. We're constantly hyping each other up. We have, like, a side chat going on. We're constantly hyping each other up. And, like, along nice with question, taking bro. notes. Way to go, bro. You phrased that really good. Yeah. Dude, that was a great question. You killed it. And we're like, thanks, man. Love you. <laughs> it's, it's super fun. But, um. Yeah, no, Emily, we cannot thank you enough for coming on. Uh, I think this has been awesome. you, you've given some invaluable perspectives on, on a lot of this stuff, uh, especially, you know, that two straight white dudes uh, need to hear more often. Yeah. You know, I like, mean, we, we try. We really try, but we are course. limited by our, you know, the circumstances of our birth. Yeah, which are fucking awesome, by the way. Love being a dude. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> If I were to come back as anyone, it would be a white man. Yeah, I have to say, like we we we're playing on easy mode, but it it is it is uh I I do mean that. Like I think as guys we need to whether you're whether you're straight, white, whatever, but I think as guys we need to listen to women more, listen to their experiences and validate them more often and uh take that information and, and use it as like credible, relevant information because I think for the longest time we weren't, you know. Um so I, I really appreciate your perspectives and coming on and talking about your experience and how that molded you to who you are today. Well, thank you for these really thought provoking questions. They were really, 
good. Like I've I've never been asked some of those before, so good job. Oh, <laughs> but I think it you know, what you just said, it is really important, but it's also really commendable because it's so not normal for straight white men to ask for perspectives from women. And I think um, you know, when I say like like I never thought I would end up with my husband because all I had ever met were men who didn't give a shit about women's opinions about these things that impact women. And so it, it, that's a really, it's an admirable trait in a man. So um, I commend you. I applaud you. Oh man, this oh, wasn't geez. supposed to turn around like that. But thank you, Emily. <laughs> Shucks. We, uh, Andrew and I can never take compliments. We've talked about this before. It's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> Probably says a lot about our upbringing, but anyway, yeah. that's a story for another time. <laughs> like, uh, thank me? No, I'm a piece of shit. No. Yeah. <laughs> no I'm trash. Don't talk to me. Oh, my God. I fucking name myself. Anyway, Emily, thank you so much. This was awesome. And, um, yeah, we appreciate the hell out of it. Oh, before yeah, you go, I mean, I'm but, sorry. I almost whoa, forgot. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Almost fucked that up, Jordan. Almost fucked that up. We almost fucked it up the, sec- the, the last time, but that wasn't, that was, uh, anyway. We have a we have a little tradition. Um, apropos of nothing, uh, not uh, necessarily on topic with anything we talked about today. Um, if you have like one piece of life advice that you know, like just like a little quality of life tip that, that you think people are sleeping on that that you'd like people to know that you never have a chance, that it never comes up in conversation, <laughs> that you're just dying to tell people, uh, what would it be? Put on the spot. I know. Jesus Christ! This is putting me on the spot. <clears throat> if it helps, when Jordan asked me, I I told him about putting um, citric acid in the uh, dishwasher. Uh, to yeah, he gave clean, me a laundry. Oh, I called it a laundry tip back then too, but it wasn't. Yeah, because it's not laundry, dude. It's not laundry. Doesn't know this. This motherfucker doesn't know the difference between laundry and dishwasher. I know the difference, dummy. God. Um. Uh, <laughs> the first thing that I can think of: stop drinking the tap water. Ooh, what? Even if it's filtered. Filter it. Just don't drink it from the sink. Yeah. Why is that? Do you know what's in the water? Have you seen Aaron Brockovich? I've, well, I agree. I've tested, I tested the water at the old place we lived in, but we have well water here. Okay. Oh, That's not tap water. It well, comes water from the tap. Water. It comes from the tap. Water. No, she's talking about city, like municipal water. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But even sure. well water, if you live in an area where there had been any like mining or anything like that, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, good yeah, we it's have also a, bacteria sometimes for in, sure. Uh, oh, and part particulates, particulates. Yeah, I do. Particulates. I actually love that an- that that answer because we no, it's, it's like a slept on thing because we have a filtration system for our water because we have radon. Um, so we have a low yeah, level. Don't drink radon. But, no, it's not good for you. We, supposed to drink the people who lived here before <laughs> us didn't have a vent, like they didn't have a radon fan, and they didn't and they went filter their water. Insane. No, they were like, "This is fine. Like we've been here for thirty years." I'm like, "Y'all are fucked up," but <laughs> that's y'all okay. Got, y'all, y'all are gonna get stomach cancer. I just got te- this place tested, and they said we need a like a guy I work with who does it on the side, so he, no hidden agendas or anything like that. He was like, "Yeah, you should get a water filtration system, and you should get a radon fan because you have radon in your basement," and. uh we have that now, so it's essentially like we have a Brita filter on our water, which is great. It's rad. That's it? 
It's a double. There's two six foot tall canisters of carbon filters. Oh, it's not just a Brita. No, yeah, no, no. Brita is is like just charcoal by itself. Oh, that's okay. All I didn't know. I didn't know what to call it. Yeah, we have a particulate filter. And we have two like six foot tall canisters of carbon. Yeah. Uh, yep. And then so I've got a. I've got else. on my house. I've got the 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 first filter, which does like eighty percent of the work. It's just a like cotton twine wrapped real tight. It's just like a four inch by ten inch filter, Pitches and then it the goes funk. into the to the carbon uh and then it goes into a nickel fill like a nickel something filter do you have hard water that, uh, i do yeah uh, and so it it, bra- it doesn't like remove the calcium from the water but it breaks it up so that it's like molecularly the structure makes it less less likely to leave scale on uh, appliances so we give a shit about our water here so that's yeah. a really good tip pretty much emily awesome question <laughs> answer answer I'm just like it's like what's on my mind all the time. No, yeah, that's no, the that's, water. that's what we're looking for water. at the end here. Don't drink the don't drink the fucking that's water. That's the whole point. Now I'm like conspiracy theorist. Don't drink the water. No, it's yeah. don't put unhealthy shit in your body. I say this after like ordering Domino's two days ago, that's and eating different. until I was fucking that's dating myself. Oh my god, I went. Yeah, to, but your water's clean. My yeah, my water's exactly. clean. <laughs> There's no fucking it's prions or amoebas it's a wash. in your fucking water. Yeah, I tell myself that I'm like, we can get Jimmy John's and Little Caesar's pizza because I spent so much money on a water filter, so it evens out. Yeah, exactly. it cancels out. Exactly. Well, I drive a water... Subaru Outback, which is a zero part PZEV, right. partial right. zero emission vehicle. That's why I can drive my 77 C10 that gets five miles to the gallon. That's right. I'm doing the work well, of one driver. And also, from 10 I years ago. Tell my that, do you both drive Subarus? We both drive Subaru Outbacks. Yeah, we both drive. Yeah. Uh, Subaru Outbacks. <laughs> Get your husband on here. He, we want to talk to your husband. Outback? Oh, that's so <laughs> funny. <laughs> Subaru that Outbacks so are great. I know. That's that's awesome. No one would expect that. That's what we do. We, yeah. We're sleepers. You know? That's, that's just a couple of... And it's a great it's a great length because you can carry eight foot boards uh, if you if you if you uh, put it put the board up that. on the dashboard. Uh, you can Nobody's buying an Outback to, to carry eight foot planks of wood. I am. You didn't buy you it did for that. that reason. Well, I well I wanted to make sure that I could before <laughs> oh, I bought yes, it. Yes. We literally did that three days ago. I met him at Home Depot, and I have a Pathfinder, so I can yeah. carry four things. And he's like. I'm just going to fit this. He's putting up a new fence. He's like, I'm just going to put the fence in the back of my little. And he doesn't even have an Outback. He's got like the shorter version. <laughs> the girl, like, cross track? Yes. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. do that one. Well, see, There's but no, the fence posts are only six foot. Maybe it was only six feet, but it was hanging out the back. And yeah. The, the, the thing was up. And I'm like, this is, I can't be seen. With yeah. You. Hell yeah, dude. Uh, listen, I you, can, you can carry you can carry six foot boards in a cross track. Easy. He's easy a go getter. He's he's resourceful and he got the job done. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Subi shit right that's there. That's someone I'd want to see myself with. <laughs> see me with him. <laughs> you can you can tell him that Jordan said that. Yeah. Who? Right. With his question authority sticker, he has an, yes. he had another one that says "Defund politicians." On the. Um, I love it. I like this guy already. Yeah. We're friends easy. now. Yeah. He's gonna listen to this. He's like, I'm oh, so <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. My, I've got my wife to listen to. She listened to one in its entirety because she was stuck in the car with me, 
And what I, what I do is <laughs> I'm going to make you listen to this. <laughs> no, I was like, honey, do you mind if I listen to this real quick? And it wasn't like after I published it so I could like jerk myself off. It was like, no, no, you, you I were take proof, notes. Proof no, yeah. I take notes and then I go back and I, and I listen to make sure I didn't miss anything. And obviously if you've listened to any of our episodes, you'll know that I still miss things. But, uh, <laughs> people are like, dude, you said your kid's name like three times. I'm like, what? And, and then I'll go and remove it. But, um, retroactively the worst the worst was clay was like i don't want my kid's name to be in this but then the wheel <laughs> it was in the released episode like four times yeah i told him that and he was like oops well i was like i'll fix it now but uh i've gotten much in all, in all goofy guys just to make you feel i've gotten much better at it since then yeah <laughs> much better like, oh, i only miss like 30 percent of the things now i didn't use anyone's names i'm not worried yeah well, I'll, it's I'll... it's it's super easy when when you're like, hey, cut this out, and then you say the thing. It's actually a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, not when you like just joke like, about it, and then maybe like we're not really sure if you meant it, and then like it comes out, and then up. we get it like an angry up. message from the person, and we got in, to, that was to, our fault, totally our yeah. fault. Yeah, we got in big trouble with a guest because he he said something real provocative, and it was hilarious and in context, and it was wonderful. And then at the end, he's like, no, cut that out, cut that out, and we thought he was joking. Yeah. The no, way he, that, meant yeah, he meant so it. So not only 100%. did we not cut it out, but we used it as the promo for the oh fucking God. episode. <laughs> it was so <laughs> bad. Oh he was like, immediately, no, no, not acceptable. Please do not. Yeah. So to any future guests listening to this, um, we promise you we are credible and uh, professional. <laughs> Semi-professional. And we'll do everything in our power to not put anything out there that will harm your reputation or get you swatted by the ATF. <laughs> I am already on a list. I already know this. So I'm not super. I'm already. In, I already even said, I'm like, everything I say in this is going to end up back in court. I'm not worried. I'm just used to it. <laughs> well, you didn't say anything. You're you really anyone until you've, like, if you've never had a cease and desist sent to you, like, for right? things you say. Yeah. Like, I got a cease and desist sent to me from Glock. Reads, of all people. Reads your. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I'm sorry. Go you go, Andrew. I was like, if somebody reads your posts in Congress or in court, that's how you know you made it. Yeah ultimate viral status yeah anyway it's only a matter of time that dude who just got busted for leaking classified documents because of his mom's counter table yeah but they matched the photos because of the counter the table the counter material in his mom's kitchen wild absolutely wild what a fucking idiot what a dork (laughs) (laughs) what a nerd you would have done way better than what that. You would have so never got caught. Amateur hour caught. over here. Haven't been caught yet. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have a security. Anyway, yeah, no. Well, Microsoft said no to the FBI getting their uh, voice chat records recently, which was a baller move. Fuck yeah. Their Fuck Xbox the Live. Bo- yeah, thank God. Don't pull my voice chat records from like 15, 20 years oh, ago. Oh, Jesus Christ. Or whatever. <laughs> anyway, Emily. Thank you so much. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk. We'll go on a, t- a tangent forever, and and because you're so nice and and very like easy to talk to, and our okay. uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, going along with weird. it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 hard for us to stop. So I will let you go. Thank and you. Please, uh, yeah, <laughs> hang ten, and this will come out in about a month. Actually, because we do them bi-weekly, okay. but yeah. I'll let you know. Let me know. I like to keep a, 
I keep a, I'm revamping our, my website. My husband, um, we, I've been raising money for women in crisis for the last year and a half, two years, and he finally um, turned it into an actual nonprofit. That's awesome. Can, I was going to ask, can we Not plug that? Can we like put a link to that yeah. in the thing? Yeah. That's it's, so cool. It's my website. So so everything that I do anyway, like peer-to-peer support, consults, things like that, fundraising, it's all, we're an, we're an actual registered charity in Colorado. We're waiting uh, for our 501c3 uh, clearance approval, but it's, we've, we have a board of directors and it's, I'm just, I'm going to be growing this. You know, I have, I'm having this baby this summer and that's, I'm not going back to teaching, so this is going to be what I'm doing, which is what I've been doing for two years, and now it's just in a more legitimate way, which is to help women achieve sovereign motherhood. And actually, what's interesting is that before I did any of this, when I was still married to my ex-husband, I raised money. Let me take that part out. I didn't raise money. I paid for the um, concealed carry classes for birth actually women of color who are doulas in inner cities in that's so fucking sick are because you i saw someone no i'm serious so I, I saw someone in one of my communities she posts online she's like i've got a couple i got three or four women who want to carry a firearm when they go to these births in these dangerous neighborhoods and um it's cost prohibitive can i have some people help me out and i was like i'll cover them like i had the money at the time and I was like, that's something that really is important to me because one of the, you know, I was trying to like hone our message and one of our, the members of the board said, your message has always been sovereign motherhood. Like whether that's, you know, talking about domestic violence or birth, like the goal is to be able to be the mother that you want to be without, you know, constraint from external forces, whether that's the government or men or anyone else, any authority figures. So it's nice to know that we're doing everything the legal way as a nonprofit and now we have an attorney involved so that's awesome. hopefully i'll stop getting cease and desist <laughs> but but that's, I doubt the, that's the kind of thing that jordan's talked about before wanting to do with uh with uh, a better way to a is like like basically like sponsoring people like creating a fund to sponsor people to get their yeah. their permits or to get i their would first love gun or something yeah raise money and be able to pay for people's class and first gun like that, like a scholarship, you know, like yeah. I'm not going to hand yeah. you the gun. You still have to go to the store and do it and get like the background checks or whatever you get, like for your state. Um, mm-hmm. But like, here's a check. Do with yeah. it what you will. Yeah. Uh, or That's if you want me to so call the gun store and pay for everything over the phone, then do that kind of thing. Right. I would love that. <laughs> I just if anyone listening to this is uh, knows knows a way to streamline that process and, and figure it out. Let me know. The ATF's gonna call me. Like you can't do that. Actually, got off my back. Yes, I can. (laughs) Can't you? You can pay over the phone. You just can't do like a background check over the phone, right? Well, like for me, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The important there's some there's been some hemming and hawing about like you know like are you the intended buyer of the firearm or whatever? Are you the purchaser of the firearm? Um, The the way that it's long been interpreted, the way it's still interpreted, is that. Whoever the gun is for is the one filling out the 4473. Yes. Um, it doesn't really matter who pays for it. Some shops are a little cagey about, like, if I go in and pay for it and you do the 4473, uh, they don't like to do that because that's the kind of thing that straw purchasers do. But there's actually nothing legally wrong with that as long as the person filling out the 4473 is the one that is going to be going home with the gun. Good. Yeah. No, a scholarship fund's awesome. I think it's... It's such a, it's a, you know, we talked about normalization and, and how to get, how to encourage other women to do that. I'll be the first, and I have been for so long, just being able to be like, yeah, and not, I haven't been the first, but 
I will happily say, yeah, this is something I've been doing and something I valued for so long that it actually influenced me and in, in where I chose to move with my child when I was 23 years old. So that is something that I've always valued and always thought that as a woman, it's a good thing to know to have and to do. And so if I can help other women, especially um, women who maybe are a little unfamiliar with it, become familiar and to take classes and familiarize themselves with gun ownership and their rights as a, an owner of guns, then awesome. I would love to do that. So it's definitely, we're tackling all those things and we're still, we're still trying to hammer out the details, but yeah, the Mama Wilder nonprofit. And, um, and so when this does go live, please let me know. Cause I, I like to keep a running log of all the podcasts that I've been interviewed in so I can plug it on my Absolutely. website. Nice. We will. Thank you. Well, thank you for your time, Emily, and uh, your your insight, and I hope you have a fantastic rest of your Sunday. Thank you. You as well. It is two, and it was almost five o'clock your time. Good grief. Yeah, well, I, I just heard my wife and kid get back from wherever they, they went to, um, so it's perfect timing. Perfect I called timing. in uh, my sister and my mom to watch our toddler and our newborn uh, so that while I am doing this, my wife can also go make returns at uh, Foreign Decor. That's dedication, man. That's dedication That's to the mission. You did it. That is smart. Well, thank you guys so much. This has been fun. Yeah, we had a blast. As uh, I'm sure we'll say multiple times in the yeah. promos and things like that because I tend to use Another that. instant classic yeah. in the bag. <laughs> Another banger. All right. Another banger. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great one, Emily. Bye. Thanks very much.